three, two, one. Is that a is that a gun? <laughs> that was that was a weird point. That was not. I wasn't sure if that was the gun. Chris Ryan, how are you, buddy? Hey, I'm good, dude. The van, vanthropology, right out there, man. What Scarlett are you doing? Johansson, I call her. You just traveling in that thing? Just... I just got back from a month on the road. Yeah. Wow. To New Orleans and back. I was just New Orleans too, but it only took three hours. Yeah, I took a scenic route. <laughs> how many days did it take to drive to New Orleans? Uh, you know, we stopped a lot along the way, Yeah, uh, yeah. but, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 days, something like that. You want to stop. We actually, we went down along the border. We, we were in Bisbee. Uh, Stanhope oh, was visit? in Asia. No, he was in Asia. Oh. He was on, you know, Southeast Asia. That's how, it, like, when you think of Bisbee. You think of Stanhope. They're yeah. inexorable at this point. There's like not much of Bisbee, a reason to go to Bisbee. Yeah. <laughs> like if you said Bisbee and you didn't visit Stanhope. Like if yeah. you went to Phoenix and didn't visit a guy that you knew there, it's like, oh, right. sorry, man, I got really busy. Yeah. That's, that's normal. But if yeah. you went to Bisbee and didn't visit Stanhope, yeah. how many people are in Bisbee? I don't know. But they're a lo- it's a strange little place. Have you been there? No. I'm scared. It's like this giant open pit mine. And like the hills are all kind of purple and weird colors because it's all slag from the mine. Really? Yeah, it's it's a toxic looking place. I gotta Jesus say, Jesus Christ! I don't know why anyone would choose to live there. <laughs> <laughs> Real estate crashes. <laughs> Doctor Chris Ryan trashes Bisbee. I'm not, it's going down. I'm not saying anything that isn't pretty obvious if you drive through town. I, I'm sure there are nice parts of town. I don't know. We just drove through. I was uh, I. The coolest thing about this van is I've combined it with the podcast, and so I'm traveling and I'm also meeting people along the way. Some of which are planned, like if Stanhope had been around and was willing to hang, we definitely would have hung with him. But others just come up, like uh, right near Bisbee. See, people follow me on social media, and they're like, oh, I see you're in Texas. You should visit my buddy in Terlingua. And I did, and I'll tell you that story in a minute. But near um, Bisbee, this woman, Dorothy, I think her name was, wrote to me, and she's like, dude, you're in southern Arizona. you got to drop in on my buddy, the rattlesnake guy, <laughs> who's been studying rattlesnakes for 50 years by himself. He's not looking for fame or anything, but I'll talk to him. I think he'd, he'd like you and you guys would enjoy each other's company. And so I'm like, sure, I'll talk to the rattlesnake guy. Perfect. So he came out to this campsite and we hung out for the morning. This guy is amazing. Uh, John Porter's his name. He's been studying snakes for 50 years. He's just totally interested in them. Uh, lives on next to nothing in a trailer in the desert. That's his focus. He's been bit 15 times. Jesus. Yeah. What keeps you fucking with snakes after bite number 11? Yeah, I know. Full- <laughs> bite me 10 times. Shame Fuck. on me. Fucking, this is bullshit. This job sucks. Like, how many years has he been doing it? 50 years. 50. He's almost 70. That's incredible. And he's in really good shape. He, he scrambles around in the hills and, and you know, pulls snakes out of holes. And Wow. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really interesting cat, and he's just like that's his passion. That's what he does. Now, the, did he do the slow amount of venom in his system to try to make himself immune? You can't be immune to it because what I learned from him, one of many things I learned from him, is that rattlesnake venom is essentially digestive enzymes. Wow! And what what happens is they bite an animal, the animal runs off. 20 feet or something before it collapses. The enzymes are digesting the animal from within. 
because they don't have enough enzymes within their own digestive tract to digest the whole thing from outside, right? So when they get the animal inside them, they're digesting it simultaneously from outside in and then from inside out. Jeez. So that's why... What a monster. Th these are um, the snakes that, that strike uh, warm-blooded animals. Right. And then the, the ones that eat cold-blooded animals, they have the neurotoxins. That's a different type of... There's a terrifying video that I put on my Instagram a couple years ago. I think. You said rattlesnake one? You'll never find it. It's like way back there. Jamie smiled. It's like, oh, it's a challenge. <laughs> uh, I retweeted or reposted somebody else's. Some guys were hunting and a rattlesnake was pulling a rabbit. And just the way this demon thing just pulled this poor little fuzzy rabbit. But I instantly made the differentiation. I di instantly differentiated which one I was on team, like whose team I'm on. I'm on team fluffy, fluffy and furry, right. always. Right. Anything that's furry. Well, unless, like, unless you've got a gun in, or a bow in your hands. Well, to eat it. Yes. Yeah. I think the, the well, furry the ones are most delicious. Doing, oh, no, no, man. I'm not judging it at yeah. all. But what I'm saying is it's, but if something else was going after that snake, if something had killed this, like a coyote had killed a snake, yeah. I really wouldn't be bothered by it. Right. something that bothers me. For whatever weird reason, I think of a rabbit as being not just a rodent and life yeah. form. They're, I mean, I think of it being like fucking Peter Cottontail or something stupid. Like and that stuff's also, in your head. Herbivores are innocent. Yeah. Right? They're not out there fucking with other animals. So very it's kind of like. Very few. Um, herbivores, sometimes they eat, a uh, they eat birds. Yeah. They eat birds when they can. But they're more just opportunists. Like if a bird can't move, they'll eat a baby bird. Right. Yeah. What is this? Is this it? Snake versus rabbit? No, um, it's actually dragging a rabbit in the desert, it looks like, or in the mountains. Oh, yeah, this is the one where the mom saves the babies. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, God. I, that happened to me once. Look at this. The mom rabbit comes over. Oh, she sees what's going on. Wow, that is crazy. That is fucking crazy. No, that's not the one. This one was a rattlesnake, a big-ass rattlesnake, and it was it was just the way it was dragging this rabbit around was so intense when i was a kid i i used to think i was an indian you know and i'd wander around the neighborhood in a loincloth are you allowed to do that today or would you get culturally appropriated probably <laughs> I, don't someone would, I don't know someone would come after you i probably i mean I, in decent exposure too because i wasn't wearing underwear oh you're a terrible person but <laughs> you know, what's your loincloth made out of bath towel Purple bath towel. So just folded in thirds, and I'd have a belt, and it would like come up and hang down in the front and the back. Seriously, I was totally into it. But anyway, I was wandering around the neighborhood in my Indian thing, and uh, I saw this rabbit, and there was a bush with these hard little fruits on it. And I grabbed one of these fruits, and I threw it at the rabbit. And I fucking hit it, and the <laughs> rabbit started flopping, and boom, just lay there. I was like, I just killed that fucking With rabbit. a piece of fruit? With a hard, like a little crab apple or something. Right. So I walk over and I look at the rabbit and it's just laying there. And then I hear this squeak, 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 squeak under this pine tree. And I go, and there's this nest of little baby rabbits with their eyes still closed. Little oh, tiny no. ones. I just fucking killed their mother, dude. I was like oh, 10 maybe. Oh, what a bummer. I, uh, so I took the babies home. Crying. She really did kill the mother with a crab apple. Yeah. Dude, you should have went major league. You should have been playing for the fucking Dodgers. Well, check it out. You got that kind of pitch. So I took the, the babies home, and the next door neighbor, my friend's mother, was a nurse. 
And I showed her, and she had like a syringe without the needle, and she showed me you have to mix, uh, can't give them straight milk because the rabbit milk is thinner, so you have to mix water with it and all this stuff, and I was feeding them. And, wow. And then I went back actually a little while later, maybe, I don't know, the next day or something, and the, the big rabbit was gone. Which then later in life, I thought maybe it wasn't dead. Maybe it was faking it to try to save the babies to distract me somehow. More likely you KO'd it. And maybe just a knockout. Yeah. yeah, you knocked out the rabbit. That makes sense. Because yeah. if you get hit in the head with something that you don't see coming, it's mm. very likely your brain could just shut off. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I raised these rabbits um, until, I don't know, a few weeks until their eyes opened. Wow. Yeah. And then what'd you do with them? Boil them or fry them? Yeah. Now then, uh, we had to go visit my my uncle in uh, Ohio, and I left the rabbits with this girl and told her how to take care of them and all that. And uh, the girl apparently forgot about mixing the water, and so by the time I got back after a three day weekend, a couple of them had died, but she didn't want to tell me. And, you know, we were 10, 11. Right. And actually, it was all through the biology teacher. And then it turned out by the time that she told them, they were all dead. Right. They all just died. They probably would have had a hard go of it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Maybe you missed your calling. Baseball? It might have been you. I find baseball so boring, though. It's definitely boring. It's one of those things that you couldn't, and people right now are screaming, fuck you. Yeah. Well, your fans hate me anyway. <clears throat> That's not true. That's definitely not true. <laughs> I see it. You can't pay attention to those comments. Oh, well, I do. First of all, I, they're, they're amusing. They're only the people that would comment something shitty. Yeah. They're the only ones that are going to get to you, right? And I then get, you got to also there's think There's a like, lot of cuck beta stuff about oh, me that kind of stuff. because they assume I am in an open relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, there's all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that cuck thing. That's yeah. interesting. Anyone who would call someone else a cuck or a beta male is. Most likely. I don't think you could say anyone because sometimes people just are and some people say it and they're correct. <laughs> but I, I think you're, what, but for I the mean, most part, but the, why the would need you to shut someone it? down. You're not in an argument. Okay. Like yeah. you aren't in an argument with them. You don't right. know them. Right. You guys aren't. So why are they insulting you? Why are they going after it's you? It's because of an right. insecurity. But it's also because of this weird way of expressing each other, uh, ourselves on, on instant, you know, on Twitter and yeah. Facebook and stuff. Yeah. It's just too instant. That instantaneous ability to just go after something you don't meet them you don't establish right. a friendship with them you well, don't that, talk to them that's at why all. i'm saying it's a reflection as a psychologist i find it really interesting because it's an it's it's you know you see these guys every fucking day there's another story about a, an anti-gay you know minister who's Always. been sucking little boys dicks <laughs> every day or even big black guy dicks whatever you like can whoever, get whatever, whatever dicks he's dick got, is available whatever dicks he's into but if he's trying to like pray the gay away yeah for sure there's some gays going on somewhere i think we reveal our deepest secrets in our loudest accusations i think you're right you know and so this whole the the trolling and stuff going on online is interesting because people don't realize that they're exposing themselves you yeah. know yeah well it's it's also it's a really shitty way of interacting with humans that some people participate in almost exclusively yeah. like there's some people right now in our culture that they're communicating with people, but the people that they're communicating with, they're, they're only communicating with people online. They're only doing it through Twitter or right. Facebook or however they do it. So, like, their days are spent interacting just randomly with people tweeting at them and reading tweets or reading, you know, reading message board posts or 
posting things or reading Instagram, uh, you know, passages. Yeah. All they're doing is interacting with people online. And I just think there's a lot of kids developing that way because they're not even even when they're around each other, they're spending more time communicating with people through a device than they are doing it face to face because they're always distracted. And I feel like this is a, a very it's it's not indicative of how we evolved like these this method of communication. So they, like people say there's way more hate today than has ever been before. I don't think so. I think it's the same amount of hate. There's just this new weird form of expression that doesn't make you take into consideration the other people's feelings. It's like the only yeah. time we've ever had something like that. Like if you killed someone or you beat someone up and you looked at them and they looked at you and you knew that you hated them. At least that's an honest attack. Yeah. You know, but if if you're if you want something terrible to happen to someone and you don't even know them. You just heard him on a podcast. He was a guest and he annoyed you. So you want terrible things to happen to him. <laughs> like you're not even, you don't even know him. It's like traffic anger, uh -huh. you know, fuck you. Like, yeah, you don't yeah. know that guy in that car, like whatever. You know where that comes from though, right? Huh. Traffic anger comes from a heightened sense of awareness because you're going so fast. Because you're in your car. You're scared. And, yeah. Well, yeah. you're ramped up. You're, yeah. you're, you're looking constantly for anything to go wrong. You yeah. can't be at zero and yeah. just drive. When yeah. you're driving, you're very aware that you're at the wheel of a big fucking thing. Yeah. And that car accidents happen and people die in them. Well, everybody's aware of that. So you, yeah. you, get, you get ramped up. Although it's funny. I rode a motorcycle every day for about seven years. And uh, I felt very calm on the motorcycle. I think because. Mm. Freedom. It, freedom and vulnerability. Yeah, both. Did you have a Harley? No, I had a some, BMW. I knew it. I'm a BMW some, guy. I'm not a Harley European, guy. Some European thing. Fine. Drives too good. Fine. Low center of gravity. <laughs> yeah, I drove that like a grandpa, too. I was like, I never got pulled over. I was in Spain. I never had a Spanish license. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Because in Spain, Maybe you shouldn't say that online. Uh, probably not. It's too late now. I'm out. Um, yeah, but uh, the, the thing in Spain is funny because if you come from you know, Mexico, Uganda, wherever, and you immigrate to Spain and you get residency, you have to turn in your driver's license and they'll give you a Spanish license, right? right. The only country where they won't honor your license is the United States. Wow. You got to go to driving school, that bullshit night school for six weeks, take the ridiculous test that's designed to trick you and it's, the translation into English is incomprehensible. It's, and then you got to do it again. It's like 4,000 euros. It's a giant scam. And, and the, it's only for us? Only for America. And the reason is that all these Spanish kids were coming to the U.S. doing like high school exchange thing. And to get it, you have to be 18 to get a driver's license in Spain, but in the U.S. 16, obviously. So they would come here and at 16, they'd get a driver's license and then they'd go back to Spain and say, hey, give me the license. You got to do it. It's the law. Oh. And so Spain, they talk to the American government like, hey, stop giving Spanish kids licenses. And the U.S. is like, fuck you. We do it the way we do it. We're number one. And <laughs> so Spain was like, all right, then fuck Americans. And so now wow. it's this giant pain in the ass if you're an American living in Spain. Oh, man. So what happens if you get caught and you don't have a license? If you're driving around, they you pull get you a over. fine. How much? A few hundred euros. That so, seems like a bargain. See, that's that what I you figured. You get paid over 10 times you get pulled over? <laughs> that's what I in order to I was like, what you do is you pretend you're a tourist. Right. Just in town. Have your passport. Right. You know, don't have an, a vehicle registered in your name. Not that I would ever do any of these things. Yeah, but. I was reading about uh, expats 
and about people who just decide to just like go and move over to, to Europe for a while. Yeah, you know, that's like a such an adventuresome thing to do if you really think about it as an American, because Americans are for sure locked into our way of thinking. Like, there's a. I don't want to speak for the whole group, mm. but when you think of the typical American, you think of someone who just they like things the way they have them here. Yeah, this is the best. We're number one. Well, those are know? the people expats are getting away from. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, but but the point is, like, if you even have a a niggling of that, and then you decide to move to Italy for a year, yeah. like that will go away. You will realize, like, oh, okay. Whatever form, one of the, I think that's one of the reasons why people cling so hard to those norms. I go, because they know, I think they know that Cambodia is different. And if they were living in Cambodia, they'd be living like Cambodians. They know that Laos is different. They know that Vietnam is different. How could that be? How could these people in these other places be just like you, just a person, but they walk around in a rice paddy all day and they push an ox and they don't have cell phones? Like, how did that happen? Could that have happened to you? Like if you just got a weird roll of the dice, mm. and instead of coming out with a seven, you came out with a three, could you have been in Laos? If you, in, unless you know, I mean, in, I mean, and from a Laotian's perspective, he got the seven and you got the three. Oh, for sure. That, you have some, you make some guy take a cubicle job. Yeah. He's used to working. Yeah. Outside, in beautiful weather. Laos is great. I've been there. Have it's you? Beautiful, beautiful country. It's gorgeous on on video. I've never seen it in real life, but. Yeah. But, but that whole thing is Well, that's just, why I traveled yeah. like all through my 20s and 30s was f- for that insight. Yeah, you, you got to see it. You got to see it and you got to- In person, right? Y- yeah, and, and you got to move slowly enough that you, uh, Joseph Campbell called it detribalization, mm-hmm. right? To, to understand that you are from a tribe, mm-hmm. right? Everybody thinks everyone else has an accent, but I don't. Right. You know, there, there are all these biases that we're unaware of until you get out and look back at yourself and where you came from. And so I, I was, you know, I, I was based in Spain for 25 years. So yeah. I really, you know, got into Spanish. I've lived in Spain longer than I've lived in any other country. But you don't speak Spanish. Sure I do. Por supuesto, <laughs> <Kidding>. gilipollas. <laughs> ¿Qué dices? <laughs> I, speak, I speak badly. But you speak it. Yeah, enough. I understand yeah. everything. Yeah. And I sound like I gave a talk in Argentina once and they came up after and they said I sounded like a, somebody said I sounded like a Catalan gringo because I learned Spanish in Catalonia. And oh. So I have this very specific accent in Spanish, which I'm totally unaware of, of course. Intellectually, that makes sense to me. But uh, my brain is like, what? Different Spanish accent. How the fuck could you tell? Yeah. Well, it's like. <laughs> Obviously, you can. It's but like it's a Spanish person who learns English in Scotland. Right. Yeah. They right, sound right, Scottish right, when they speak English. Right. Yeah, for sure. Or, or, I mean, how many number of people that come from other countries that speak Spanish or speak English, rather, but they speak it with the accent of their place? Canadians, India? Even Canadians. It's so subtle. About. But about. About. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I went to university. Yeah. You know, and you see here A a few two times and they're, they're a little bit too polite. You're like, hey, yeah. where are you from? Yeah. I love fucking with Canadians. I ask them where they're from or what part of the States are you from? And they say, oh, I'm from Canada. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, James Brown has a song called Living in the USA. Right. And he goes through and, you know, how he does, like, he calls out cities. Right. You know, it's New York, you know, Pittsburgh, PA, Toronto. Like Toronto. He says Toronto. <laughs> Well, it's living in North America. Uh, sort of. I, mean, I guess that's his thing, right? Hey, it's Mexico's in North America, yeah, too. Yeah, Isn't that crazy? I Mexico's shared a, North America. My first uh, 
apartment in Barcelona I, I shared with this guy named Rogelio from um, Rogelio Gutierrez from Colombia. That's a fucking serious name. And I was just learning Spanish then, and uh, he got he got really pissed off at me when I said I was American because he's like, "We're all Americans, dude. Colombia is South America. America ah. is the whole Western Hemisphere." And you arrogant fucking estadounidenses that's what i had to ah. learn to say in spanish that means from the united states estadounidenses right? estados states estados. unidenses Unidenses. are united yeah so <sighs> i used to remember that i used to remember estado <laughs> estado <laughs> you speak any foreign language no no i took uh i took italian in college and spanish in high school uh. and I remembered none of it I took three years of German in um, middle school, high school, because I initially signed up for Spanish, which would have been the smart move. But then over the summer, I was like eighth grade, I think. And over the summer, uh, this girl named Judy Gumpf, who I just... I lusted after Judy Gumpf. She was just like... Tell me about Judy. Judy Gumpf was like (laughs) the 15-year-old who was totally built and you know, gorgeous and smart and right. going out with a 23-year-old dude with a Camaro. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and here I am with my zits and, and braces, and I'm thinking I got a shot at Judy Gumpf. So I sw- she was taking German, and she said, oh, but there are only eight people in the class. I don't know if they're going to do it because you should have nine. And I was like, Judy, I'm going to call the school and switch over to German. And I did. Wow. I sat in that class for three years with Herr Flint, and Judy never had a shot at Judy, of course. <laughs> and then Herr Flint, I, I could not, I have no talent for language. I'm like, I'm all right in English, but like when you start talking grammar and the accusative case and, you know, in German, there are three genders in, in you know, there's die, der, das, masculine, feminine, and neutral. And every noun has a gender and it's like a fucking nightmare. So is neutral for objects like das boot? Yeah, right. Objects. But also it's weird because like uh, Machen, girl, is neutral. Oh. And you would think girl would have a fucking feminine gender, Girl's right? neutral. Yeah, that's, that's Machen. But anyway, uh, huh. Herr Flint was also the soccer coach. So we sort of had this unspoken agreement that if I was on the soccer team, he would pass me in German, even though I was lost constantly. I mean, I would have failed out for sure but he would give me a c as long as i was on the soccer team not that i was any soccer star it's just that he needed enough people on the team that they'd keep paying him or they'd shut it down so my memory of german is basically humiliation from judy gumpf because i never got anywhere humiliation in the class because i couldn't understand a fucking thing and humiliation on the soccer field because not only did i suck at soccer but he would scream at me in German because <laughs> I was in the German class. So it was like, oh, he, God. it was my tutoring or something. So like, nein, dumbkopf. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. In my Italian class in high school, there was this really friendly, beautiful Puerto Rican girl. She was beautiful. Like she was the type of girl that I would have been way too nervous to ask out or way too nervous to approach. I just would have need I would have needed a bunch of green lights to talk to her. I'd be super nervous. But she would approach me and she was always inviting me to go places with her. Yeah. Her and her friends. And I'm like, "Well, what are you guys doing? Well, we're going, you know, like a camp out. We're going to do this thing and and there was this uh getaway for the weekend." Like one of them I couldn't do, so I was I was fighting back then. One of them I couldn't do cuz I had a fight and one of them I couldn't do because 
I think, I don't remember what the fucking reason was, but it was, it was enough of a reason that I would say no to this hot Puerto Rican girl asked me to go somewhere with her on the weekend. That's beta cuck behavior, oh, Joe. She was so hot. She was so hot. She was built like a woman. I mean, we're both, I think I was probably 19. And so she was probably 19 too. She was a, she was a phenom. I mean, her yeah. body was just holy shit, yeah. super duper pretty and super duper friendly. So I'm thinking one day this is going to happen, right? Yeah. So I go to the lunchroom one day and it was the day that it was a Trump airplane. I know I've talked about this before. The Trump airline, the, the runway gear didn't come down. And it skid. Like, remember when Trump had an airline? Do you remember mm, that? Vaguely. Yeah, he had a fucking airline. <laughs> Big Trump <laughs> on the side of it. Of course. And I'm pretty sure it was him, or maybe it was JetBlue. Now that I think about it, it might not have been Trump. Or it might have happened either way. This airplane skid in. You know, they had to foam up the runway, the whole deal. And the thing skid in without the gear. And um, I showed up, and it was her and her friends. Landing gear fails on Trump jet. No injuries. Okay. 1989. That is it. That's exactly when it was happening. You were in high school in 1989. No, so if that was 89, that must have been I was 21. No, that doesn't make sense. There must have been another one. See if there was one from earlier. Because when I was 21, I'd already given up on the idea of college. <laughs> I thought you were going to say given up on the idea of her. No, I was like, what am I doing? When I was 21, I was like, this is just too ridiculous. And then I started doing stand-up. Yeah. In was 87, there was a 87? Mexico City air disaster, Belize Air International Mexico City crash. No, it wasn't a crash. It was the same yeah. thing. The landing gear That's wouldn't drop in, down. I typed an airline runway Man, my memory sucks. Was it in, in Boston? It was in Boston. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, it's, I just can't imagine that I was t 89, I was 21. Anyway, so what happened with the woman? And yeah, no, it's definitely not 89 because I was, uh, I was already doing stand-up by 89. Um, so, I, I sorry. I sit down. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of people are going, Joe, I sit down get back and I to the say, Puerto did Rican. you guys hear what happened today <laughs> at the airport? Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, what happened? I go, this jet came in and the landing gear didn't drop. So it had a skid across the runway. I go, but everybody's okay. And they all go, praise God. Oh, praise God. And I went, oh. That's oh, the weekend getaway. This is the weekend getaway. It's an indoctrination to a right, Christian cult. Right. They were bananas. Right. They were, and they were super proselytizing. They would go everywhere and sit down with people that were by themselves. And if you saw, if you, they thought you were lonely or an outcast, they would send in the hot one. She would come and sit next to you and invite you places. And then they'd pull you into the fold. And they were just recruiting people left and right to join. And then, like, I noticed as the class would go on, like, later in the semester, I noticed some of the people from the class were now in that little tight group. And mm. they'd all, like, hang together. It was very strange. It was like I was watching people get, like, they got culted up. I yeah. mean, I was watching it happen. But it was all like standard, standard, you know, Christian stuff, but extremely involved in your life, very rabid, and, you know, and recruiting, proselytizing everywhere. Yeah. And the fact that this happened, like, it was very strange because I was like, you dummy, of course she doesn't like you. She wants to bring you to Jesus. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe she was going to fuck you to Jesus. I didn't think so. Yeah. I didn't have much confidence back then, believe it or not. I didn't think it was going to happen. I, you know, I, does anyone have confidence at 1920? Really dumb kids. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. When I was 19, I was like, 
I just couldn't, nothing made any sense. I might have been 20 when it happened. Yeah. If you think you got it figured out at 19 or 20, you're destined for a life, yeah. you know, stacking shelves somewhere. I can't imagine it was in an 89. It doesn't make any sense unless my whole timeline for when I quit college is off. I just finished watching, um, binge watching this new Netflix documentary about the Rajneeshi. You know, the Sannyasins in Oregon. The, the Wild West. What wild, is it called? Wild Country. Wild Wild Country, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's really good. It's it, how many episodes? Six, six episodes, I think. Yeah, we just binge watched it. Um, I have a buddy who was a Sannyasin for 15 years, maybe, something like that. Uh, he wasn't in Oregon, though. He was always in, in India. But yeah, that's very interesting, and the the whole sort of appeal of the cult and and the the hunger to be part of this community and wow, it's it's a very interesting documentary. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's too. I don't think it'd be very hard at all to start a cult. I just don't think it's very difficult. I think well, people, some people would say you already have. Well, maybe, but. You could do whatever you want. I mean, <laughs> there's no, yeah. There's no, no, uh, yeah. no one's asking you for uh, how a many Rolls Royces do you have? Joe? I don't have any. Well, see, you need those to step up your game there. Those aren't the way to you're, go. You're like the instead of the Rolls Royces, you got the Porsches. You're I the like Porsche old cars. You're the Porsche guru. This is what I'm realizing. I like old cars. Old cars. They don't even have to drive as good. Yeah. They don't. Have, they're, they're a different thing. You ever heard of Mickey Avalon? Yes. I had him on my podcast recently. Re really interesting and smart guy. Yeah. And he, in addition to being a rapper and whatever he does, he Simon Rex is a good friend of mine, mm -hmm. Dirt Nasty, yeah, and I the two Simon. of them are on tour together. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I, I was talking with the Mickey, and it turns out Mickey restores antique cars. Wow. And he's got like 20 of them, like, like Model Ts and shit. Oh, like that's awesome. Really interesting cars. They're yeah. art, man. Yeah. This, this is what an old car, they're just a, it's a different thing. You know, what's well, cool to see the process of them figuring out how to design cars at faster and oh, faster speeds. Is that speeds. his car? Oh, oh my God. Look go. at that yeah. thing. God, that's beautiful. That's what sweet. is that? 61 Impala. A Rockford Fosgate equipped 61 Impala. Wow. I love that sort of art deco lines. Yeah. So what yeah. he's doing is, I mean, I mean, I think that is a, what they would call a resto mod. You know, where they take an old, this is the, that's the best of both worlds. They take an old car and they put modern brakes and uh, modern suspension right. and they're just safer and they ride better. You can even swap out the engine, right? Oh yeah, they all yeah. do. A lot of them do, I should say. Um, they use modern fuel injected engines. You can buy them from uh, almost all the companies. Ford sells crate engines and people put them in old Mustangs. Mm. It's amazing. I love those old Mustangs. Oh, Split rear the window. Best, dude. Those, yeah. Some of those cars are just, you look at them and you're like, God damn, like what, what, how did they do it so good then? And why, like you look at those old Mustangs or old Corvettes, mm -hmm. like there are a few years where Corvettes just couldn't have been more beautiful. Have you ever seen my 1965? I don't think so. Dude, it's the, a Corvette? Greatest car I've ever seen in my life. I have a 1965 silver 1965 Corvette convertible. Wow! And I, I just sit, stand. I just sit in front of it. I think I may it. have seen it. Did you and Jay Leno drive around yes, in that? Exactly. Yeah. Were you in exactly. Topanga? No. I remember watching that there clip right and there. thinking they're dry. Oh yeah, look at that. No, That's we went beautiful. to the Angels Crest Highway. Uh. That car is two years older than me, sort of. See, but sort of is the real thing, like the outside is, but yeah. everything and in the inside, as far as like dashboard and stuff is. Well, you've had the hip redone. replacements and stuff. Those Every, are, those are new. all my joints. Yeah. 
This oh, car has titanium. got everything in that car is uh, modern in terms of like the brakes and the engine, the engines from a 2007 Corvette. Yeah. They just do that. And that way, like you're driving around in an old car, but it, it breaks good. It handles good. It's yeah. not a death trap. Right. You know? But as getting back to the cult thing, uh, you know, I think some of the mechanisms, the psychological mechanisms that make that possible apply to what's happening in podcasting these days. Yes. And the beautiful thing about podcasting is so far no one has taken advantage of it and started some compound somewhere and banged everybody's wife. <laughs> Are we on? Is this thing on? <laughs> and required you to give up all of your financial money and That's all right. your worldly goods. And yeah. No, I got a Patreon seen, account, though. You ever seen there. the um, Australian guy that said he was Jesus? Uh -uh. Pretty fucking interesting. Because uh, there's this whole documentary on it, and he has this woman, and the woman said that uh, he said that she was Mary. But then, like halfway to the documentary, it revealed that there was another girl in the past, and he said she was Mary too. That girl thinks she's Mary, and yeah. he thinks he's Jesus. It's it's fucking hilarious. Well, Mary was Jesus's mother, right? Uh, yes. So, so and, but they're partying together and banging because they're reincarnated. It's not oh, really Mary. So Jesus okay. is a motherfucker in this. Jesus guy's is a mother. View? He's his own motherfucker. Oh, yeah. imagine. I don't know. I love my. I don't know. Sorry, she's not married. The mother. She's Mary Magdalene. The. Uh, oh, the prostitute. Ah. There you go. Now it's fitting into oh. place. Maybe the other Mary was the mom. This is the lost gospel. Uh, <laughs> uh, <that's laughs> is that what he says? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's Dan Brown, right? Gospel, yeah, yeah. Uh -oh. yeah that oh, Jesus Brown. was hanging yeah. with the hookers and mm -hmm. very accepting of sex workers. Yeah, why not? I mean, God yeah. made people horny. God knew what he was doing. I mean, but God made us monogamous, Joe. Oh, don't yes. get me started. Um, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. <laughs> an, uh, I have an intervention on behalf of Brett Weinstein. Yeah, you're gonna get me married. You know, um, I told you in the email that I felt bad when your book came up on the show and I didn't know how to defend it. I didn't know what to do because I didn't, I was in that weird moment where I was recommending it because I like it because I think it's a great book. And yeah. he was saying that it just it's debunked. Well, I think he said it's you funny cherry word. picked data, yeah. right? Which is always weird. Well, the thing is, any sort of popular non science or nonfiction book is. You have to choose what data you're going to include, right? right? I mean, there's an infinite amount of data. And so, of course, you form uh, an argument and then you present data that supports your argument. Did you ever consider um, arguing against yourself? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, the book is, you know, the book is written as an argument against the standard narrative. Mm. So, you know, we had to present this. What is the standard narrative? Who believes this? You know, who thinks that people evolved uh, as monogamous? And so we quote quite heavily from those people. Mm. Um, but, you know, the thing is, I mean, and I really appreciated your email and, I, you know, we don't need to talk about this at any length, but it's not your job to defend the book and it's not even my job really to defend the book. I think once a book is out, it's out. Right. The book is there. You, but isn't it, it's not just the book. It's that when someone goes hard on a book it's, it's they're doing it about you as well. It's if like they, it's your well, it's expression of your work. But see, that's the thing. I don't accept that association. Mm. And so, if somebody wants to critique the book, that's totally cool. And right. and like, look, are there things that we 
may have misunderstood? Of course. Are there th- things we left out? Of course there are. You know, mistakes? Of course. You know, that's... Right. You're uh, a human. You made a right. book. There are yeah. hundreds of citations in that mm-hmm. book. Now, if somebody says, as people have, like, you know, oh, Chris Ryan, you know, deliberately misrepresented the science or doesn't understand the first thing about evolution or, you know, whatever it is. I just don't engage because that's emotional. It's like what we were saying earlier about comments online. I think people react to sex at dawn very emotionally. Right. And so if they're reacting emotionally, there's no point in me engaging with them because they're expressing some, something that's going on in their lives that I don't know anything about. And I don't, they're suffering in some way. I'm not talking about Brett Weinstein or anybody specifically, but, um, there's an emotional reason to have that kind of reaction. Whereas if somebody says, look, on page you know, 72, you said that uh, bonobos are the only ape that does this and the, actually gibbons do it as well. OK, we can talk about that. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's factual. Right. So when people say, oh, it's cherry picked. Well, which cherries? What are you talking about? Right. You know, what specific some, thing and yeah. what's wrong with it? Right. Right. Instead of saying it's cherry picking is vast general critic critique of the book. Like what? Right. And if it gets about me, right. like, oh, that's because he wants to get laid. Or well, that he was wants, one of the arguments, like, oh, right? Give me a break. Was that it would be a good book to write, I think. I don't remember if he said it or if his wife said it, that it would be a good book. And I really love those two. They're great. They're cool. I just think um, when it comes to monogamy and sexuality, people have a notion in their head, and that notion almost always aligns with how they're living their life. Or how they wish they were living their lives. Yeah, maybe. And again, we're not talking about specific people here. I've never met them. No, they're listen. They're a great couple. They're wonderful people. But I mean, there's there's something about the subject of your book. I think I told you this before. Without naming any names, my friend brought your book home and his wife threw it away. Yeah, you and I talked about that on the very first podcast. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I've run into this a lot, right? You can imagine cocktail parties with me can get awkward very quickly. Oh, for sure. You know, because people ask, "Oh, wait, you're the guy who wrote that?" Yeah. You know, and then often you'll see some people are very eager to hear about it and talk about it, and other people are just steams coming out of their ears. Right. I, I, I think. You know, a lot of people are in relationships that they're trying to make fit into what they believe is the right way to have a relationship. And often it just doesn't it doesn't work. Right. And so there's a lot of shame and um, regret and resentment and all kinds of negative energy around that. And so any discussion where you're saying, well, maybe that's not actually the way. It's meant to work. For some people, that's an incredibly liberating message. For other people, it's extremely threatening. Right. And I understand that. And, and, you know, so I've become very emotionally sort of separate from the book. It's out there. It stands or not based on its merits. I don't – when people get all riled up, I've learned to just be like, yeah, you know what? That's fine. That's between you you and the book. That's a very healthy approach. Good for you. It's just, it, to me, it seems like people that get most upset about it don't get most upset about it for a rational reason. They get upset about it because it challenges the way they live their life. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I was saying about, like, the gay preachers and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, if you're sure. getting that upset, yeah. <laughs> it's about you, man. It's not, I, I mean, if you disagree with it, then disagree with what it. What they fine. need is out gay preachers, like yeah. people who love Jesus and are also gay. 
Right. Like, you can't do that? You can't figure that out? How come this guy can start a whole fucking cult in Australia and tell people he's Jesus and his girlfriend's Mary, and you guys can't get together <laughs> and form yourself a nice gay church? I mean, do they have them that I don't it's know about? It's called the Vatican, dude. <laughs> I mean, have you heard all this stuff going on oh, yeah. in Italy? Oh, it's I mean, crazy. They've got all their sex parties. They're and... their own country. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was there, uh, you know, and you when you just walk around the Vatican and just see the fucking vast amount of pilfered riches that are all yeah. just sucked out by an ideology. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. Like that that church, that whatever the fuck you want to call it, that religion. They just acquired an ungodly amount of wealth. Literally ungodly. Ungodly. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking stunning. Yeah. Jesus is all about living in poverty and yeah. hanging out with sex workers. And these guys are like. Just lavish yeah. wealth. Yeah. And it's crazy because if Jesus came back, the first thing he'd say is like, what the fuck have you guys done? Yeah. Like, what have you done? Look at these gigantic places that you built. And I told you guys, you don't even have to be anywhere for this. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to have some ornate temple with stained glass windows and it took craftsmen like like saint peter's basilica like is it a shock that that is probably one of the most stunning things that i've ever seen in my life like mm. one of the most beautiful works of art yet was created for this religion that most likely the people that were living in that day we're probably like worshiping these people that were running this thing, like as if they were deities themselves. Yeah. And they needed them to have the biggest, craziest building. They impress the rubes, right? When they come in yeah. from the countryside and they walk into a cathedral, like, oh, holy dude. fuck. The impact that it has on you is you can't understate it. Still. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are churches in Barcelona I would go into, and I'm, I'm a pagan, but just go in there and just feel the space. Yeah, just you know? feel it. That this the you just you your body knows how big it is. Why can you? It's like when you walk into an airplane hangar. Yeah. You know, like it's, yeah. it's 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 not something you really can't overemphasize how crazy it is. Like these people built this without power tools. I mean, I don't yeah. know what kind of fucking ladders they used, but yeah. whatever they did, it, look at that. Fuck, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. You walk around that place, you can't believe how ornate it is. But at the same time this was happening, people were starving. You know? Yeah. Guaranteed. I'm like, how old is that? 15. 1500s? 1506. 1506. How, how well do you think everybody was doing financially in 1506? I bet pretty fucking shitty. <laughs> I bet everybody that lived around that place suffered. Yeah. And these motherfuckers were building these crazy places. They have an obelisk in this whole place where you're, uh, these images right here we're showing, from Egypt. This massive stone obelisk from Egypt. And I was like, okay, how the fuck did they get that there? Yeah, it shows you how cheap labor was. Oh, dude. Yeah, you could hire people for a <laughs> lifetime for That's, a pittance, you know? Yeah. Like really skilled artisans. Yeah, and they couldn't go anywhere, man. Yeah. What they did in that place, I mean, the Vatican is just a, it's a stunning place. Like way more so than I thought it was going to be. Have you been to Spain? No, I have not. Look at that. Oh, my God. Look at that. Yeah. That's what is that, Jamie? What are we looking at? I know. Is that the roof? I don't know. It's just St. Peter's Basilica. Yeah, Look at the fucking carving and everything. And I'm telling you these it's one of those things like you were talking about how you have to see another culture in per, uh in person in order to really appreciate it. I think that's the same with this thing. St. Peter's Basilica is one of those ones when you're there. Like look how little those people are walking around down there. See the top of their heads? <laughs> that's it. That fucking place is giant. 
Yeah, beautiful light coming through there. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's 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 one of those game changers. Yeah. Where you leave there, like it, to me, it was way more impressive than the Coliseum. Huh. Coliseum was very impressive, but it wasn't as impressive. Well, it's not intact, right? Right. It's, it's yeah. but it's not even that. It's just like what it is. Yeah. What it is is just craziness. He's fucking. The, the cra- one impressive thing was the elevator complex mm. that they had set up to lift animals, animals up from the yeah. floor. Like, that is fucking nuts, man. Do you ever think about the Coliseum when you're doing UFC commentary? And it's kind of like this modern... A little bit, right? Yeah, it's yeah. definitely um, a big, violent distraction from everyday life that people really look forward to and enjoy. Yeah. You know? For, like, entertainment value. I mean, it's as, as primal as you can get without anybody really dying. Yeah, you know? I mean that's most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. yeah. I mean, no one has in the UFC. Oh, ever. But it's because they have the most stringent rules, and because they have the best medical staff and the best referees and all that stuff. But it's also just luck, because mm. like people can die sparring. It happens. What if you're if you're in a chokehold and you don't tap out? You just go unconscious, and then when they and then you'll be separate, all right. Yeah, you'll be fine. And you can feel when someone yes. goes unconscious, yes. the muscles relax. Yeah, you just they just they slump, and the referee sometimes the referee like pick up an arm, even uh, like the old pro wrestling move. Like they would check to see if the guy was still awake. Like they would pick the arm, and the guy would be like, oh, and the crowd would go nuts because yeah, he was about to yeah. make his comeback. Yeah. But it, they do do that sometimes. Referee, I've seen referees pick a guy's arm up to see mm. if the guy responds, or girl. I've seen girls get choked out a bunch. Um, but you know, people are tough. They don't want to tap and then yeah. they wind up going to sleep. Yeah. Holly Holm, when she fought Misha Tate, Misha Tate choked her unconscious. And before Holly went out, she was throwing punches in the air and she went unconscious. Wow. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. It was, it was primal. It was yeah. like drowning. It was like watching someone drown, yeah. you know? Um, so it's just, you know, you have a preference for how you die. Ooh. Drowning. Drowning's my, one of my least favorite. Seems like it would suck. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, that. I have a buddy who's a big wave surfer and uh like 40 foot waves. Shout out to Kyle and uh he did a breath holding course. He can hold his breath for 5 minutes. Jesus. Cuz he goes, you know, if you get caught in one of those waves, you're like down in the deep for a long time. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, some really interesting. He was telling me some really interesting things, like when a human being puts its face in the water, all sorts of physiological changes start happening. Your metabolism immediately slows way down. Your oxygen consumption cuts way back. Wow. Just automatically. We've got a lot of seemingly evolutionary adaptations to living in the water. Yeah, have you ever heard that um, aquatic ape theory? Sure. Does that make any sense? Does it, it, it seem does. like someone should have already known that already? Uh, it it makes. Uh, here's what it does, in my opinion. It we it, should explain it. Right? Yeah. So the the idea is, I first read about it in a book by Buckminster Fuller, actually. Mm. Um, great, you know about him? Yes. Genius. Uh, the idea is that there. According to the people who support this theory, there was a period in human evolution where our ancestors lived in tidal areas. So they spent uh, most of their time in the water that was about body temperature. So it was 
um, comfortable and it was shallow enough that they weren't worried about sharks coming in and deep enough that leopards and other predators from the land couldn't get at them. So it was safe in that respect. Also, you have uh, great sight lines so you can see if something's coming from a long way off. And there's lots of food there, lots of mollusks and fish and you can net. And so it sort of made sense that they would be there. And so we have these physiological adaptations for aquatic living. Like, for example, human infants are the only apes, certainly, I don't know, primate, probably the only primates that know to hold their water or hold their breath underwater. Mm. So like that great uh, Nirvana album cover of the baby. So you take a baby and drop him in water and it holds its breath. Right. Uh, Chimps just just breathe and and die. Yeah. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Chimps don't can't even swim. So uh, there's that. There's the fact that babies are really fat, so they float. You can't teach chimps to swim? No. And also, chimps don't have enough body fat to be buoyant. Right. They're super... They're they're uh, like corded steel, their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know they could never teach them to swim. That makes sense, though. But they're so smart. I guess they just can't do it, huh? I don't know. But yes, if you see lots of, you know, contemporary zoos, they have the chimps surrounded by a moat. Right. Because they won't cross the moat. Wow, yeah. what a bummer. They'll wade in water. I've seen chimps wading, but uh, That's not crazy. swimming. You know, maybe then there's also the connection between um, eating fish and fish oil and brain health. Right. And there's a very strong correlation between fish oil and brain health. Yeah, so it could be related to Fatty cortical acids. development. Yeah. And also, um, you would have to be clever to try to dive into the water to go after those things. The smarter ones would probably survive right even the nostrils like you know ape nostrils come straight mm-hmm. out of the face and the idea of our nostrils facing down is related to this aquatic wow uh, explanation the oil glands that we have on our heads and faces and shoulders that you know cause acne and stuff in teenagers uh you know that's for protection from the sun mm-hmm. apparently so there are lots of adaptations that seem to fit into this interpretation but you know, lots of sort of mainstream evolutionary theorists would say, well, wait a minute, you know, there are other adaptations we don't mm-hmm. have and that we would have if that had been the case. So it's it's controversial at best. Part of it was also the theory that the human brain, in order for us to be born vaginally, the brain could only be so big before the kid was born, right? Well, There's that's so much... Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the explanation for why humans are born helpless. Right. No, but what I'm saying is that we really can't, the brain can't get any bigger. Right. Like for the vaginal canal. Unless our dicks get bigger and the vaginas get bigger as well. I yeah. used to do a whole bit about that, about dick pills. But if there really were dick pills, no one's stopping at one. <laughs> you know? Like, what's the dosage? Okay, how much gives me a stroke? I'm going to take one less than that and yeah. roll the fucking dice. Yeah, or that, risk it. And the idea would that be every dude's dick would just become a super dick and every woman would be, you know, she'd be, uh, it was a joke about flying squirrel pussy people. They would just jump dudes with big dicks and shopping carts. We'd chase these girls to the edge of cliffs. The women would leap off with their, <laughs> their giant GMO open. vaginas because the body would have to morph. It'd have to change for the big dick pills. But it does, yeah. it does seem like if humans are going to get smarter, if the head is going to have to get larger. 
Does that make any sense? Or is that just a crude way of looking at the brain? Is it possible that people can get smarter? Like if we evolved, yeah. if, you, if we evolved from lower hominids, it's generally assumed that those lower hominids had little brains or littler brains than us, right? Up until like Australia Pithecus or something like yeah, that. Yeah, what, what really seems to matter though is the ratio of brain size to body size. Ah, right. Right. There are right. plenty of animals that have bigger brains than us that aren't obviously aren't smarter than us. Like an elephant. Elephants, blue whales. I mean, a blue whale brain's probably the size but, of this room. Do we know if elephants are fucking super smart? Because isn't the thing about intelligence is not just, like there's communication between elephants for sure. And yeah. we know that they um, recognize each other after long periods of time. Yeah. Like 20 years apart. They get yeah. together and they see each other and recognize each other instantly. Sure. So there's, a, there's an intelligence there, but the, what we judge at intelligence oftentimes depends on whether or not it can communicate with you, whether or not it changes its environment, builds a yeah. structure. I mean, that's, to me, this is one of the deepest questions in life. Do you right? ever see the elephant that painted a picture of itself? Sure, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, in Thailand, I think. Yeah, pull, yeah. pull that up. That is one of those things where you go, okay, wait a minute. A dog can't do yeah. that. I thought you said this thing was as smart as a dog. Because that's yeah, that's a hundred times smaller. And they're like gray parrots that have you know three hundred word vocabularies or something. Really? Yeah, I mean, I don't don't quote me on the but number, but Jamie can look that up. There's they this, can speak a whole like sentence. Yeah, and they can. And there's a guy. I remember seeing this recently. There's a guy who has a border collie, who um, you know, obviously can't talk but understands well over a hundred words and so what he'll do is like he'll put all these different toys behind a wall and he'll say go get me the the yellow bunny and there's like a yellow bunny a red bunny and a green bunny in addition to hundreds of other shit and the dog will go find the yellow bunny and bring it back whoa you know go get me the the you know the green turtle and he'll go get it so the dog knows those words right and it also the dog sees in color i guess it's yeah. a predator i guess predators so, yeah. see in color yeah. think so here's the the elephant painting itself it is fucking crazy because it really looks like itself and this guy helps it and gets the brush and puts it in its hand but the elephant is essentially doing all of this with its trunk and just replicating itself and it's proportional too it's it's really good like, dude oh, that's look, better look than at a four-year-old the dude was holding his tusk yeah you have to training him to do that i think well i'm sure they're training him. or is I he mean, just pulling so no, that no, the, no. the see, brush goes where he at, wants it to but go. see look at the trunk like he's definitely holding but look at the trunk and look at how much motion is in that thing how could he possibly be controlling that he's definitely lifting it up and down and helping him though yeah but they're what it is is they're working together yeah. Like the elephant knows to stay in these lines. It's doing it with him. You're not buying it. I'm not buying it. That hand on the tusk. It's not got a mirror or anything. That hand on the tusk is a little See rough. if there's another one. Well, there are other ones. but Let this me is, see the other there's one. There's just articles that say that they're being trained to do it and it's like cruel or something. Yeah. Okay, this one right here, this thing doesn't have anybody's hands on it. I think this is the one that I had seen before. Let's see if this in, guy in any case, puts his the, hands on The it question too. of intelligence is so much more complicated than we generally credit it with. Right. And uh, not only among animals, but also among humans. There's this big controversy that's, you know, perennial controversy that's okay, being see, raised again. Okay, see, this is a again. problem. Right now, we're, I'm, we're looking at another video, and this is the one that I had seen. And, and he's, it, nobody's... Nobody's touching his nobody's tusks. Nobody's controlling him here, yeah. Well, he doesn't have any tusks, it looks like. Yeah. Does he? I don't no, see I don't any, no. So... so 
that looked like the guy was just giving him the brush and he was doing it. Why don't they pull back though so you could see if that's true? See, this is the one that I had seen before. Yeah. I hadn't seen the other one. Oh, this but is I would imagine, unassisted. Yeah, this is unassisted. I would imagine that if you did get a guy like this that teaches his elephant how to how to paint a fucking picture, that you're gonna it's gonna become a tourist attraction. Right. People are gonna say, "Come watch the elephant that paints the picture." You, as seen on YouTube. And then next thing you know, you got a tourist business. Well, and if he always does the same picture too. Right. Draws himself. Yeah. Over and over again. Yeah. But it's right here. It looks to me, at least, like the elephant's doing that. Yeah. You couldn't even talk a four-year-old into doing that. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, four-year, you ever see a yeah, four-year-old do like an it. elephant? You have to ask him what the fuck it is. Like, what is that? Like, that's an elephant. You're like, whoa, <laughs> that elephant's crazy. What is it doing? Do you think it knows it's drawing an elephant or it's... That's a good question. Like, does it draw on a tree? It probably doesn't know it's drawing an elephant. If I had a guess, I would get out of guess that it probably doesn't understand 2D space like that. Because if it did, it would start creating art. They would start expressing themselves to each other. They would start yeah. drawing directions, like go this way. If you start seeing animals do that, that is so far beyond using tools. Well, that's what bees do. Yeah, right? well, bees do it with smells, right? And, well, they do it with a dance. And, yeah, they little so they can dance. they give instructions yeah. on where the flowers are. Yeah. yeah. So this, this question of intelligence is really interesting and I think very important because, you know, we talk about intelligence as if we know what it is, right. but, but we don't. It, it expresses itself in so many, itself in so many different ways. Right. There's so many manifestations. So this big controversy that's happening now among, you know, between, I don't know if you're aware of this with Sam Harris and um, Ezra Klein and uh, Andrew Sullivan and people are and Charles Murray. Charles Murray, right, yeah. exactly. That whole thing about Why racial... Why explain it to people that don't know what the well, hell there, it is? So there, Charles Murray wrote this book called The Bell Curve, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. I think it was 25 even. Yeah, yeah. where he argued that uh, there are racial differences in intelligence, uh, IQ specifically with Asians being the highest and then whites and then blacks, and that that's just the way it is, and social adjustments aren't going to change that because it's... Um, largely genetic, right? And you know that's as I understand that was the argument. I haven't. I don't read think his book. it's saying largely genetic, but I think they're saying that genetics play a factor and environment plays a factor. And I think some people are not willing to look at genetics if it shows an unfavorable trait in minorities. They just they don't want to look at it. They yeah they deny that's it. That's true, but I think it's also true that. Part of the argument is that social programs are a waste of money because they're not going to affect it because it's genetic. That's crazy. I, if that, if I'm that pretty is sure part of the argument, that's just straight racist to me. Well, I think that's what people are. The idea, like, save your money, onto. save your money. No, right. do a better job. Like, you don't even know yeah. if it works because right. what have you done? Like, what? Well, go to yeah. an inner city school right. and pretend you're a 10 year old kid trying to get by in this life and yeah. you're literally yeah. seeing gang members and craziness and people flashing cash and people dropping out because they're pregnant when they're 13th. And you're trying to tell me there's not. There's not some sort of a massive environmental right. factor. If you were a white kid yeah. going to a school like that, I only went to a, a bad school for one year of my life. I'm not, I'm no OG, but I really did go to one bad school, Mary Curley uh, Middle School in Jamaica Plain. And in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, it's, it's now it's become gentrified, sort of. It's kind of like East LA or um, uh, Silver, uh, Silver Lake area, you know, like a lot of hipsters have moved in and mm -hmm. nice places. But 
when I lived there, it was not good. Yeah. It was very poor people, and the the fucking middle school was scary. It was seventeen year old kids in my seventh grade class. No one. It was just a weird place. Maybe I guess it was eighth grade, but. The point was, these kids were, they were never going to graduate. They knew it, and they were trying to go back to seventh grade again, or eighth grade, whatever the fuck it was. And the teacher would have them in the class for a couple days, and then they would leave. And everywhere you walked, you were scared. Everywhere you walked, like, some weird shit was happening with people. People were yelling at people. There was always, like, tension. And there was always, like, bigger kids around that were robbing other kids. Like, fuck. Like, I got through that year going, holy shit. And when I got out of there, my parents moved. We moved to a really uh, nice part of uh, mm. town, Newton. But if you're a kid growing up in that environment, yeah. good fucking luck learning anything. Good and, fucking and luck. And probably having... it's it's pretty bad at home too. Yeah, and what yeah. I experienced in Jamaica Plain was nothing compared to Dorchester and Roxbury. Those are the bad areas. Yeah, they were way worse. And, and we at know the time. that, that uh, anxiety, stress um, stops brain development. Yes, it retards. Yes, it, it also makes people much more inclined to violence. Yeah. You know, like sure. you, when you when you grow up in the even in the womb, if your mother's around horrible situations and people screaming and fighting and you, that cortisol and all those adrenaline yeah. and all those all those hormones are flowing through that baby, preparing yeah. that baby for a violent world. Well, and you, I'm sure you know about the epigenetics that show that that can pass several generations. Yes, your yes. grandfather was yeah. in a famine. You're more likely to be obese. Isn't that crazy? It's nuts. Yeah. You yeah. also live longer, though. Isn't that weird? Like mm. the people that were um, that were in fa- famine, people their kids lived longer for some strange reason. Interesting. Yeah, like your body's preparing you and to be extra durable. Like you, we? we were talking about before the podcast started. Right. And fasting is the only intervention that's ever been shown to extend lifespan. Mm, not nuts. Yeah. I do it because yeah. it makes me um, just function better. I do it every sixteen hours. I um, I eat. So uh, I'll eat, and then I don't eat for 16 hours. So I'll eat for eight hours of the day. Uh-huh. That's it. When that's over, that's over. So I'll you, eat again so for 16 hours. So what is it, hours. like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or Whatever something? Whatever it is. I just figure out what the time is and then yeah. add, add 16 to it. If yeah. I'm cheating, I add 14, but I never add less than 14. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah. I, I was talking to a guy recently about this, um, Brian Freisinger in, in Austin, really, really smart guy. And we were talking about this, and he's like, I only eat when the sun's up. Ooh. It's easy to keep track of. That's good. Yeah. But what if you want to go to a nice dinner? Don't eat. Bow. Nonsense. Or, or go earlier. I know. Take, you got to have cheat days. When he said it, I was like, dude, you know, yeah. I spend most of my life in Spain where dinner time is 10 p.m. Like, that's not going to work for me. If I go to a restaurant, I allow myself to have a little bit of bread. I allow myself to have dessert occasionally. I allow myself to eat some shitty things. Yeah. Like maybe a little pasta if yeah. I feel like it. Fuck it. You have to be, I think you have to both be disciplined and also I enjoy the art form of cooking. Like, oh, I enjoy yeah. that people make these delicious dishes. I follow your elk and uh, jalapeno <laughs> Instagram feed there, Joe. It looks great. Do you cook at all? I love cooking, I've, yeah. I have meat for you then. Oh. I have sausages. Joe Rogan sausage. has meat for me, That's ladies and meant. gentlemen. That's what I meant. <laughs> He's one of the few Here people you that, can't really say that, that too. cuck beta thing again. <laughs> So yeah. I'll tell you a great, uh, we're, we're talking about the van, mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, the, my favorite thing in life is travel. And the reason I love travel is that you can wake up and have no idea what your life's going to be like by the time you go to bed. Right. Right. So we're driving the van through, uh, along the Rio Grande and we want to go to, uh, Big Bend National Park. 
which is beautiful. It's, you know where that is? No. It's like that part of Texas that sort of dips down. Oh, okay. And then, you know, and there's like a big bend, mm-hmm. like literally a big bend. That's the river. Um, so it's way down South Texas. That's a weird spot. It's cool. It's, it's, it's interesting down South there. Te- South Texas is strange. Yeah. Yeah. You should have a passport to go there. <laughs> I, and the river's like as wide as this room. I mean, yeah. it's nothing. You know, yeah. you, you could just walk across over to Mexico. Wow. Um, but anyway, so so we get into uh, the western entrance of Big Bend, and they, it's like four p.m. And the guy says, "Yeah, all the campgrounds are full." And I was like, "Ah, oh, shit. Okay, can I get a backcountry permit?" I'm like, no, you can't. You gotta. Okay, so he says, "Just go back to that little town right there, spend the night there, and then come in the morning, and I'll hook you up." Okay, great. So we go back to this town. It's called Terlingua, little town. We just drove through it on the way in. Nothing there, you know, some houses, whatever. And um, and we find this restaurant, and it's like, okay, we're just going to crash behind a dumpster in the van and, you know, whatever, and uh, spend the night there. So we're sitting there, and I remembered somebody had sent me an Instagram direct message, like, about Terlingua. So I, I go back and I find it, and the guy's like, hey, if you get to Terlingua, Texas, you should look up my buddy Tony. He's really cool. <laughs> so here's his, his handle. So I, You can't tell people that you're willing to do this because now they're going to be sending you direct messages. Oh, they do it all the time, you, man. Bringing you I love traps. It. No, see, but the, you're paranoid. There's going to be a dude with a ball gag in his hand, and you're going to go, what? And then you're going to feel that wet that cloth filled with chloroform See, cover your nose you're in a different world Joe <laughs> I'm I'm in a world of micro podcasting uh, where everybody who reaches out to me likes me oh everybody they're, reaches out to you I'm sure b- and they're I'm not sure. crazy they're, they just want to tie you up a little <laughs> well hey what's wrong with that I remember showing you one time long time ago I was here doing a podcast and my phone a, a message came in and I looked and it was this really hot woman in Australia who liked to send me naked pictures of herself yeah. And I showed it to you, and you're like, that's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> that's a trap. It's that's, a trap, bro. That's what a trap looks like right there. <laughs> it is what a trap looks like. <laughs> She's in Australia. <laughs> they are different over there. They're, they're, I, and they're I, far away. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they are interesting people. Anyway. That a, that's a place I would live. I like Australia. Yeah. I would live there. Yeah. They get I like comedy Australian too. people. They're funny as fuck. Funny as fuck. Yeah. And, but they get American comedy straight away. Like, there's yeah. no... There's no like problem yeah. doing shows over there. Yeah. Humor is an interesting thing, cultural humor. Anyway, let me finish this story. So I text this dude. I'm like, hey, I'm interlingua. You don't know me, but some friend of yours, whatever. He texts us back, hey, we're in this restaurant. Come have a beer. So we go to this restaurant. There's this table, maybe a dozen people sitting at the table. Hey, come on. Yeah, have a beer. Really nice people. Uh, after about 15 minutes, I say to somebody, are you guys tripping? He's like, yeah, we, we ate some mushrooms. Ah. <laughs> it's like, okay, some of them did, some of them didn't. Anyway, but super relaxed. And uh, somebody makes some joke about like their their beer glass was dirty or something. And someone else is like, yeah, just lick it. It's good for your microbiome. And I'm like, oh, you guys know about microbiome? Like, yeah, yeah. I said, I read this article couple of years ago, this dude, you probably read this article yourself. Um, this dude was in Africa with the Hadza people, the hunter-gatherers, and he took some Hadza shit and he mixed it up and blasted it up his ass to see if he could <laughs> get a hunter-gatherer's microbiome because it's oh, a much more complex uh, sure. microbiome, right? I, I say this to this dude thinking he's going to have a reaction like you just had, and he says, oh, yeah, that's him. He points to the end of the table. I said, what? And the guy's like half alive. <laughs> no. Wires coming out And the out guy's of him. looking at me smiling. 
I said, that you? That's you? He's like, yeah, that's me. You blasted fucking hunter-gatherer? Yeah, yeah, I do this thing in Africa. This guy's a world-famous scientist, microbiome expert. Wow. Spends half his life in, in Africa with this hunter-gatherer group, and the other half in this tiny little town in Texas, and there he is. Wow. And so I, we stayed there four days, became great friends with this guy, did a podcast with him. Fantastic What's his name, guy, Ken? Jeff Leach. I'm gonna is and is in tangentially speaking the podcast available it, on iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else. Available where fine podcasts are found. <laughs> wow, yeah. I'm gonna listen to that one. That so, sounds amazing. I mean, what, like, a, what a coincidence! This was the trip, you know. Yeah, and that was totally fell out of the sky. We went to visit Peter Gorman. You know him. He, he no. was editor of High Times Magazine oh, in okay, the '70s. Cool. First person to write about ayahuasca in the Western press, like really? not scientifically, but popular press. Oh wow! Explore the Amazon for years was all over down there. First person to write about uh, Sapo. You know the mm-hmm. the burn. Tree frog. And the, yeah. Yeah. Really interesting dude. He's in Texas, too. Wow. So he drove up to see him. So it's kind of like just cruising around in the van, like hanging out with cool people. I heard that frog poison stuff is horrible. The, the, yeah. the trip. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was Aubrey. Wasn't it Aubrey that was on the podcast talking about doing that tree frog poison? Pretty sure it was him. He's done everything. Yeah. He's like Mikey from that commercial about hey, Mikey, Mikey likes it for life. He hey, won't Mikey. eat it. He hates everything. <laughs> He's in there. That's Aubrey. He loves yeah. everything. Takes everything. But he um, he was saying it was just a terrible ordeal. But there was um, there was also an article that I read about certain countries where they didn't have uh, an endogenous psychedelic or didn't have a local psychedelic. So these people would take ordeal poisons. So they would take poisons that would get them like literally to the brink of death, and then they would come out of it like a near death experience. And that this near-death experience provided some sort of a shamanistic, you know, um, uh, some sort of a breakthrough experience where you could move on to the next level. Like you'd experience something yeah. that was like, like we were talking about before the podcast, like when you lived in Portland and then coming here in L.A. when it's sunny out, you're like, ah, sun, you just feel yeah. it. Like yeah. The, that it's similar. Well, there's a similar people. theory about uh, Africa that there aren't a lot of uh, endogenous psychedelic plants there. Uh, yeah. Iboga is one of the only ones, and that's incredibly strong and not yeah. available all over the continent. And so they develop complex rhythms to provoke uh, altered states. Mm, that makes sense. And that's why African yeah. rhythms are so complex and Native American rhythms are very simple. That's interesting because they were high as fuck. High yeah, as fuck yeah, already, yeah. and just boom, boom, boom is well, enough. You know. Have you heard? Um, have you ever heard any of the Icaros that Aubrey plays when he has his little? No, I haven't illegal heard drug ceremonies. <laughs> but uh, they, he's got yeah. these um, Icaros that he got from these uh, South American shamans, and I, I listen to them sometimes when I write because huh. I like listening to things that I don't know. Yeah. Um, the language when I write. Like I like uh, like I like some music from Armenia. Mm. I like uh, some Lebanese music. I like it's cool listening to things where I have no idea what they're saying. So like, I don't get wrapped up in, yeah. but I feel their emotions. But right. I don't get wrapped up in whatever they're talking about. So I can write about whatever fucking tabletops. It's a lot of good uh, music out there. Oh, that yeah. you want Brazilian, yeah. African. Yeah, I most of the music I listen to, I don't understand the words. Because I really fixate on the words if I do. The Icaros are crazy because they, they make the psychedelic trip dance to them. Mm. Like DMT. Like when you take DMT with the Icaros, you realize like the Icaros, it's like a technology that was invented to work with DMT. Right. 
like this is like give me some volume on this shit this is what they sound like now by itself you listen to this right now and you go oh this is just like some weird slow music but when you're in the dimension of dimethyltryptamine and the world has become infinite fractals that are moving and changing and morphing when you hear this song the hallucinations or whatever they are that you're experiencing the visualizations they dance to the song a hundred percent in sync so all this it's comforting yeah it's it's but that's another thing it keeps people from having bad trips sometimes because they can cling to the music and the structure in the music mm. whereas their own paranoia and fear and inability to let go gets hit with that psychedelic juice mm. boom and you just experience that new and you some people freak out but it this sounds, music might be able to bring them down it sounds like what a, a fetus might hear in the womb got that heartbeat too yeah right Imagine what a fetus hears. Hey. See, I like listening to this kind of shit when I write because I have no idea what they're saying. Yeah. And so I can just keep it on the background. It also makes me feel like just knowing, just knowing that that's out there, knowing that the, the DMT world is out there, it makes me just a little bit nervous. It makes me write better. Mm. You're writing jokes or other stuff? Everything, whatever. You've ever, you ever written a book or essay or stuff? I've written essays. I, re- I used to write a lot Oh, yeah, no, I've, I've read some of your essays. What am I talking about? Yeah. Um, you wrote a beautiful one a couple of years ago about that, that I really, I don't know if I've ever told you how much I appreciated that, actually. It was about um, how the quest for optimal fitness shouldn't be taken as immortality mm-hmm. that we're all going to die and you got to sort of deal with that do you remember what I'm talking yeah about? i think i wrote um your body's a sandcastle that's what it is yeah, yeah. sandcastles yeah. are beautiful but one of the beautiful things about them is we know how temporary they are yeah like when you see a sandcastle it's not just like oh this guy made an amazing sculpture it's like oh no this person made something that they know is not going to last yeah. and they put a massive amount of work into it but part of the beauty of it is that it's not going to last right yeah i really i i enjoyed that i a think lot. that was for a magazine yeah I forgot what magazine. So you have a, a book in mind? I started writing a book, um, and then um, I had a deal with the publishing company. Like wanting, They wanted very specific kind of writing. Oh, that's yeah, it's for Maxim. That's what it was. Um, they wanted very specific, like they wanted jokey jokes. They, they even offered to just pay me to transcribe my act. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And they go, but these people did it. You know, some famous comedians did it. And I said, that's fine. I just not what I want to do. I like writing, but I like writing shit that I feel like writing. Like mm. I don't, I don't want to have some. So when we went into it, they were like, we love your blogs. We think you're really funny. Uh, you, this would be good. We'll, was this we'll before you had the podcast? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I gave them all their money back. Yeah. I just I don't want to do this. Yeah, because at this point, you'd yeah. have free free range to do whatever you wanted. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I just think that any time you willingly take on some new uh, project managers and other, they might, like, their their opinion might very well be valid, but I'm not looking for it. Mm. I, I want whatever I write to be out of my head, mm. and whether it's good or bad, dependent upon how much focus and attention I put into it. You know, I, I'm pretty self-critical, so if I think it's clunky, I'll try to redo it. But I'm not interested in, like, 
artistically or creatively going down a direction where somebody else is picking the subject matter or somebody else is suggesting like I'm not I'm I just it's fine well, and there's no I'm reason for you to do it. that I mean yeah. you've got a massive platform and a well-established voice you don't I I think honestly I think publishing is is at the Napster stage yeah. right now I think it's it's sort of collapsing I'm at I'm finishing this book I've been working on for a few years now and uh I don't know that I'll ever publish another book with major publishers. Well, you've had great success with your podcast as well. But the beautiful thing about your podcast is it allows you to put out an idea almost instantaneously. I mean, you get together with this yeah. rattlesnake guy. Yeah. You guys have a couple hour conversation. You upload that shit and that's it. It's wonderful. And it brings these really interesting people into my life. And right. like my circle of friends now is largely composed of either guests or listeners of the right. podcast. You right. know, it's yeah, it's wonderful. I, I just put out a book recently that's um, uh, sort of compilations of podcasts. Mm. So it's not the whole conversation, obviously, but it's excerpts. And the whole thing was crowdsourced. So people who listen to the podcast picked the episodes. They picked what part of the episodes that they thought was most interesting. They transcribed it. This guy, Adam McDade, did all the art. Um, the publisher, Misfit Press, are people that I know through the podcast. They reached wow. out to me, and we had some beers, and it, not intending to do anything together. Just like, hey, dude, we're in town, and we like your show. Can we get a beer? And really like these guys, and ended up having the CEO uh, on the podcast, AJ. And, um, yeah, so we just put out the book, and it's it sort of fulfills my fantasy of being a writer without having to write. <laughs> you know, if I could right. like do what you're in it, you and yeah. uh, you remember you signed a release yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Hope you remember that, Joe. <laughs> you and Duncan, you and Duncan and my mother blurbed it. It's, it's, it's right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know you blurbed it. We just lifted something you said on a on a podcast about you. Yeah, you said. Oh, uh, perfect. Was it you said? Whatever it is, I sign off on it now. <laughs> he said, Chris is the, is the best beta cuck I've ever met. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, that, that's my dream is to put out one of these a year. That's a great idea. And I mean, really, there's a lot of amazing conversations that I've had with people on this podcast that I would love to see written down where I could read it, go over it, and yeah. not hear my own fucking and, and voice. It's, and also, it's you, people have it in the bathroom. You mm -hmm. know, it's like a little right, thing. You just right, pick right, it up, whatever it is. There's no, you don't need to follow the flow or the. And you're encouraging reading, which is a dying thing. And people, and then there are a lot of people out there who don't listen to podcasts, right? Me included. Yeah. I rarely listen to podcasts. Do you listen to books on tape? No. No? Uh, but see, I don't have spaces in my life where I'm doing something that would allow me to listen to voices talking that wouldn't interfere with what I'm doing. Mm. So like, yeah, I'm not a carpenter. I'm not driving right. long distances. Right. You know, it's like I'm either writing or um, doing the doing my podcast or something else. Yeah, but there's you. not, I don't commute. You know what I mean? So, so there's a specific sort of, you know, activities that lend lend themselves to listening to podcasts, and a lot of people just don't have those spaces in their lives. Right. So I envision the book is like something where people can be like, "Hey, dude, I know you don't, I know you don't listen to podcasts, but this is why I do." Mm. These are the sorts of crazy ass conversations that Chris and Duncan and Joe get into, and that's right. why I like listening to those guys, you know, or Wim Hof or Graham Hancock, I and mean, all these guys are in the book. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Yeah, man, if I stopped and thought about it, 
Uh, because before I started doing the podcast, I would listen to recordings of like lectures that Terrence McKenna would give or yeah. uh, Timothy Leary or, you know, and there wasn't a lot, you know, you or listen to Art Bell having some, you know, weird uh, UFO expert on or something like that. I mean, that's really what you had to listen to. You didn't yeah. have very many choices. Right. And then I think about all the conversations that I've been able to have with guys like John Anthony West, with Graham Hancock, yeah. and Randall Carlson and. Michael Shermer and you yeah. and Duncan Michael and Ari. Shermer, yeah. I mean, so many people have had these crazy conversations with them that, yeah. to me, they've been. I mean, I it's shaped the way I look at everything. It's changed everything. So I feel like I'm constantly getting educated. You know. Yeah, you set up your life as like, you know, not. I'm not talking about myself, but you've had guests who are some of the smartest people in the world who come to you to sit here. And chat with you for, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, you have set up an amazing little educational institution here. Sometimes. All... Sometimes it's educational. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's chaos. But it's. Well, it, that's education. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, it's, it certainly is. You learn about what we're like when we're drunk. But it's, what it is, is, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. it's a thing, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a thing. And it's a thing that's enjoyable to me. Like, I, it's like, I like having all these conversations. So. If I can record them and they just put them out there and other people like them, it's, this is a, a very rare, uh, b balanced sort of relationship. So to me, there's no other way I'd get – like if I said to you, hey, Chris, let's sit down and talk for three hours. You'd yeah. be like, um, okay, all right, I'll block off three hours for you. Yeah. Can I look at my phone at all during this time? <laughs> can I get up to go to the bathroom? We would yeah. never have this like as connected a conversation. I, I just got another set of headphones um, to give to my guests ah. because the, ostensibly the main reason is I'm using handheld now because my whole thing's mobile, right? Right, right, right. People will occasionally come to my place in Topanga, but normally I go to them. And uh, they can't hear when they're. They don't court. hear, so I have to keep like going, hey, hey, the mic. You know, there a lot right. of them. They're not used to talking on mics and all that. Yeah. But the other reason I got it is uh, my buddy Kyle actually pointed out to me that when you both have headphones, you're both in a shared space, and you're much less likely to be thinking about your phone or yeah. whatever because you're both like I don't know yep. what it does, but it it seals it off in a way. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday actually. Huh. Me and Eddie Bravo talked about it because he doesn't like to wear them because he doesn't like the sound of his own voice. Uh -huh. And I said, well, he and I are so comfortable. We've been friends for so long. I yeah. didn't. We didn't need to wear them. But I feel like when you're having a conversation with someone, it cuts out everything else. Right. It's just you two there. Like, there's no distractions in the room. But if there were, they would be less distracting because of the yeah. headphones. And well, that's the thing. I'm out like sitting in a yeah. in a campsite somewhere oh, or yeah. by a river or whatever. Right. There's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah, and the handheld microphone too is a big thing. And if you get a mic that picks up everything, then they pick up everything. Right. Everything like they pick up some yeah. shit over by the outhouse. You'd hear in the background. Yeah, I was yeah. using uh, lapel mics for a while, but they were omnidirectional. It was too much, <laughs> and people were complaining like, "Dude, I can't in the car. I can't hear." It's, right. Right, you know, so right. I got the handheld. It is an interesting thing, right? Because this is not something that a production company would ever uh, get together and fund. Because they would say, if they did, they'd have a sound guy. And they'd have a Like, half the fun is yeah. watching you, well, well, this one sucked. These, these mics are bullshit. Yeah. All right, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. You know, like, we've done a few from an iPhone. We used to do podcasts on a plane. Yeah. Like we'd be, uh, you know, me and Duncan or me and Ari or whoever it was, we'd be on a plane next to each other. I just stick the iPhone between us, press record, and start talking, voice notes, yeah. and turn into a podcast. And yeah. it's not that bad. 
Yeah, I did that recently in the van. I was driving. I had some ideas. I just grabbed my phone and started talking into it, and I threw it up. Yeah, and people like it because they know one thing. They know this is one of the things that's appealing about podcasts in general is that it's not produced. Right. It's just this is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's like you got it's an raw. idea, and I'm getting it right from Chris Ryan's head. It's going right from his head, right in that phone, and then it's going right into my ears. There's mm-hmm. not. There's no filters there. Yeah. It's getting right into your head. It's yeah. one of the weirdest things about podcasts in general is that the the intimacy of your voice in someone else's head. Like, I'm sure when you meet them, they get weirded out, right? Yeah. A lot of people get weird because weird, weird, you've yeah. been in their head. And all of a yeah. sudden, you're right in front of them. Yeah. Hey. Like, yeah, and it's it's strange. Like, they know you. Yes. But, you know? You and know and they really do know you. It's not like fame where you're an actor right. and people are like, oh, I know your face. Like, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, people really do know Joe Rogan. Yeah. Strangely. Yeah. So there are parts... Uh, I know both of us have parts of our lives we don't talk about on the podcast, specifically your marriage, I guess. you don't talk Family, about. I don't like to talk too much about. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm that way too. I, my impulse is to talk about everything. Like uh, my impulse is like, I got nothing, I got no secrets. Because I feel like there's a, like a revolutionary shamelessness. Mm. Um, you know, I feel like, I feel so privileged and largely thanks to you and Duncan, honestly, when I started the podcast and you guys did that shrimp parade thing and that really built up my audience and to the point now where it pays, it's self-sustaining and right. it's my main gig. Right? That's awesome. It is awesome. It's incredible. But it's like, I feel like there's a responsibility I have in a way. To express yourself. Shamelessly. Mm. Because... Everybody else has a job they can get fired from. Right. Or a marriage that they can get, you know, right. screwed. Their wife can leave them or they can. Right. I'm invulnerable. Mm. And so I kind of feel like, all right, so the cost of that, you know, every opportunity or every, you know, privilege comes with a responsibility. The responsibility is like, I got to talk about shit that other people don't talk about so that it's out there. Right. And, and so my impulse is to just say everything, you know, and my sex life is really has been very interesting and I'd like to talk about it more, yeah. but I, I don't want to, you know, other people never right. sort of said they were down for that, you know? So that's, that's magnified when you have children because yeah. they, they have no say. Well, that's you the know, other like invulnerability I have. Kids, they put their kids out there yeah. and I'm like, well, okay, I don't not, I'm not saying it's the worst thing to do, but it's not the child's choice and they're very young and you're making a, you're, you're Look, like whoever did what they did to Michael Jackson, right? Yeah. One of the things that they did is they made him famous way before he had any idea what the fuck that meant, and yeah. they profited off of it. Yeah. They kind of pimped him out, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what's happening. And they destroyed him. Yeah. Ultimately, the whole thing destroyed him, right? And um, I just, I, I don't want to be a part of that. I just, there's no, no benefit in it. I think that's smart. It. I don't think it's yeah. intelligent. And I also don't, this is my real honest feelings. I do not think that fame is, uh, I don't think that people should aspire to it. I think it should be something that happens if people like your work and then it's cool, it's fine. But I think there's way too much emphasis put on just trying to get attention and it's being rewarded and supported in this weird way. There's nothing wrong with getting attention, but it should make sense. It should make sense. There should be some reason. And if it's out of balance, yeah. you know, you should, you should probably look at like, why, why is it out of balance? Like, yeah. And lots of things that attract attention are not things that 
we we want more of it's, be, you know like it, conflict yes conflict that's a big one but it's also the i like just fame itself one of the weirdest parts about it is that you have to constantly be checking yourself like all these people are nice to you all these people uh, are saying nice things to you or are being mean to you. You know, one of the, like right. they, all people that you don't even know. So right. you, you can't rely on them for your self-esteem and right. you certainly can't rely on them for criticism. You can't rely on them and people you don't even know that don't care about you. You know, so you, you, you're in this weird position. You have to be very careful with who you communicate with because one of the weirdest things you'll see from famous people is all of a sudden they get this very strange thing where they feel like people are supposed to do things for them. Mm. And you know, they don't they're not supposed to pay for things and everything's supposed to be easy and they're supposed to get that that's a that's a weird one. Like they they don't respond to criticism well. They don't understand that they're still a human being in the middle of growth. No, they're a fucking star. I'm a fucking star and I want this and I want it now. Yeah. And they're just like, what kind of fucking bullshit is this? And Do you know who I am? Yeah, exactly. We've seen <laughs> we've all seen like a version yeah. of that, right? And we the know about it. The problem, though, is that they know that their shit stinks. Yes. They know that they're human. They right. know. So they're, So then they develop this sort of um, fraud uh, phobia. Right. That people are going to find out what they really are. I mean, I, I've seen this with fashion models. You know, mm. I, I used to hang out with a lot of fashion models in Barcelona. You know that whole story where I lived in the mansion with the fashion models? Did you talk about that? Could be. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I'd love who to can hear keep it again. track of what the fuck we've talked about? <laughs> I know it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, a fashion model, fame, famous. wealth, yeah. people who are extremely sure. wealthy, and and that gets back to the seventy grand a year thing and mm -hmm. the whole sort of question of you know saturation. You know what else it is? It it becomes a real problem with things being too easy and life being like way too uh, patterned. Like you, you, everything is very predictable in terms of like your success. You have plenty of money. You have uh, adulation from fans without any stress or duress. Like you can have a little bit of stress in terms of like trying to manage your career, but it's nothing like trying to make it. Yeah. That I don't know if I'm ever going to make it stress. That's a totally different kind of stress. I don't know if I'm ever going to be a success stress. That's real shit. That goes away once you yeah. definitely become Kanye West, whoever the fuck you are, right. and then you're subject to your own demons. Because right. then you're alone. You're yeah. really alone. You can't even go to the grocery store. You spend any time with Jim Carrey? No, I don't know him. I'd love to meet that guy. Yeah, he seems like he's in a weird stage of his life. He seems to me like someone who, <laughs> who you talked about, you know, you get to a, that, that pinnacle mm -hmm. and you have to deal with your demons. Yeah. It seems like he's dealt with them and now he's come out the other side yeah and he's in this very sort of this place of wisdom and uh and yeah it, it i i just think he he's something russell brand is another guy who i i think i really admire wh where they are in their mm -hmm. lives and how they got there they sort of went through the fire and they've come out the other side somehow russell certainly has i know russell he's he's a sweetie he really is a super sweet guy, like genuine yeah. too, and really yeah. trying to like be a better person yeah. and a better human. And you know, I don't agree with him on everything. He gets a little social justice warrior-y on some things, but I think it's just because he wants to do good and he's like leaning towards good and he's leaning towards love and he's it's it's all for the right reasons. Like every even if I don't agree with him, I see how he's thinking. And even if I don't yeah. agree with him, it's a soft do not agree. It's not a hard do not agree. It's yeah. like, 
Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. Yeah. I think uh, if Jesus came back, he'd be Russell Brand, actually. <laughs> he'd, he'd probably fuck a few less chicks. I don't know. Jesus, maybe Jesus would go just slinging dick all over the place just to remove everybody of their ego. Just well, show just, everybody you don't possess these women. Years ago, I, <laughs> uh, I came back from Asia. I was in Asia for a couple of years, and I visited my best buddy in Paris. And we're throwing a football around, I remember, in some back street in Paris, which freaked out the Parisians, of course. And my buddy's like the opposite of me. He's religious. He's disciplined. He speaks seven languages. Wow. He's a you know musical prodigy. I'm a lazy fuck. But gr- <laughs> growing up, it was like I was Kirk. He was Spock. You know, it was that kind of <laughs> dynamic. Half your audience won't even know who we're talking about Isn't there. Isn't that sad? Yeah. But... Um, he, uh, which explains why I've always wanted to fuck a green woman. I've got this <laughs> thing. But uh, he said to me, he's like, Chris, I figured you out, man. I was like, all right, what's, what's the deal? He said, you're the anti-monk. I said, what do you mean? Mm. He said, monks cut themselves off from the temptations of life in order to pursue a spiritual path. You're, you're pursuing a spiritual path, but it's by way of the temptations of life. You immerse yourself in them. Because in those days, I was doing a lot of drugs and, you know, whatever. Right. And uh, I think he's right. And in Buddhism, there is a path of the, the drunken guru, right? Mm-hmm. The, there, there is a path of sex and altered states of consciousness and sort of... You know, William Blake said the the palace of wisdom lies at the end of the road of excess, Mm. you know, and so someone like Russell Brand, I think that's his path. He's gone through the Mm -hmm. the addictions and the orgies and all that stuff that a lot of people think would make them happy. He's like, check those boxes. Like, Mm -hmm. no, that didn't do it. And And check them in a way that very few humans ever get to check them. Right. Because he's a beautiful man and a superstar. Yeah. And he came on the other side and became this, you know, really conscious, very spiritual person. Yeah. And very humble. And a sweetie. Which like a really I, nice guy. I think humility is what you find if you get through to the other yeah. side. Yeah, I think so. I think if you, but even when you get through the other side, it's like, it's, there's no, there's no destination. It's not like a spot you get to like, oh, right. I made it. Finally, I can relax. I'm here. Yeah. Well, oh. you used that phrase a minute ago, like, you know, trying to make it. Yeah. Make it. It's like, it's as if mm-hmm. you'll make it and then right. you'll have it made. Yeah. You know, like what, what, what did we make? What's made? The make it thing is really for a comic. It's just this, uh, the high unlikelihood of success is always looming over you. And being, what is success? Being a able Netflix to, special? No, I'm not even just being able to work, just being a working Working comedian, just paying you know, your rent yeah. with your stand-up. That was always the dream. Like every yeah. comic that starts out, if they're being honest, like Fitzsimmons and I have talked about this a hundred times because it was we never thought of a career. I mean, Fitzsimmons is one. I think he's won at least two Emmys for writing. Brilliant guy, and you know we were just two dorks. Yeah. Two 21-year-old dorks hanging out together in Boston. You we weren't a we dork, never thought, dude. You were a fucking martial still, arts expert. Even though I was a martial arts expert, I was a dork, dude. I would get nervous talking. I was, talked about this. I, I never f- could figure out why I'd freak out when I would be about to talk to a bank teller. Like walking up to, I'd get like social anxiety. <laughs> and I wouldn't know. Like I would get nervous it's about it. It's not a good place to look nervous. Well, not, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I mean, but back then it didn't even make sense because I was yeah. fighting. And I would still get nervous talking to like... Any person who was in like an official person, yeah. Any person like a you know a teacher or a principal or mm, anybody that authority figure, any, any authority figure. I was yeah. super nervous talking to them. 
My wife gets that way around anyone wearing a uniform freaks her out because she was in a war when she was a kid. Oh, wow. So she's so like immigration guys. Ooh. She just she starts shaking. TSA just, workers. Yeah. 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 No, I hear you, man. Well, uniform means uniform behavior, right? Uniform means shit could go sideways. When's the last wrong. time you wore a tie? Speaking <sighs> of uniforms. Probably when I was taking the photos for my 1999 cd because really? on the cover <laughs> of really? the cd i decided to dress like uh like old school frank sinatra uh. i just decided when i when i made the cd i was thinking I, I never wear a tie a suit and a tie that'd be fun if i just decided to wear a suit and a tie for the cover of this so that's it right there oh, that's yeah. probably brad pack the last time i'm I gonna be dead someday yeah yeah that's the theme song to my podcast is you're gonna die one day <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to give the end away, but you're going to die one day. It's a good song. Carpe fucking diem, baby. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy the. I mean, don't dwell on it too much. Don't freak out, you know? Well, it's like, I think every young man should shave his head. Like at 21 or something, shave your head. Mm. See yourself bald for a month or however long it takes to grow back. And it's like, okay, that's it. Yeah. And Some then you're not going to worry about shaved it. heads, though. Well, you say this, but you have a yeah. normal head. I don't know. I've never shaved friend. my head. I don't know. I have a friend. It looks like his ca- his parents never picked him up for the first year of his life. <laughs> they just let him lay down on a flat marble pillow. <laughs> his head is flat like a fucking pizza. This poor bastard. Uh, on the top or the, the back? back? The uh, back of his head's flat. I yeah. think his parents just ignored the shit out of him. And uh, he's got a flat head. You know about bastard. the flathead Indians? Which ones are those? There was uh, up in Idaho, that area, northern. Kids? Yeah, they they would put. Oh yeah, um, I did see. I, yeah, yeah, they put a board on the baby's head because yeah. the heads are so malleable, yeah. and then tighten it, and they look like cone heads. Yeah, they scare the fuck out of anybody. I'm sure. If you saw those dudes riding up, oh sure. shit, war paint, flat yeah. heads. Yeah, I mean, that was a thing about um, some of the. I think was it was it Peru. Where they would do, they would find a lot of these skulls from a certain period of time that had been elongated. And, you know, the alien people went nutty. Like, this is it. Mm. This is evidence. This is evidence of contact. The aliens, they've been here. But it's just boards. They just put boards on the side of their heads and stretch their heads up. Yeah. They think they might have even been trying to emulate one of, like, originally the idea was bounced about that someone in the royal family in Egypt had deformities. And uh, that was one of the things that said about King Tut. Like, King Tut was not a healthy person. Like, uh, that he might may very well have been the product of incest. Yeah. And that there was some... Do you remember reading about this? Uh, yeah, I know about the incest yeah. in the Egyptians. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that some of the, like, heads... When you see people like with like he- elongated heads and hieroglyphs and images, they might have actually done that to try to replicate someone who had something fucked up with them. To normalize it. Yeah. Which might have been like a royal who had been like, look, at there's that's his head. Yeah. That's his actual head. So on the left. Yeah. Um, that's Tutankhat. Is that his real head? Uh, Peru. It's Peru. I oh, these are giant skulls. Yeah. Peru. Right. But they have a they they have King Tut's head too, though. You see if you can Google King Tut's head. The ones in Peru, they know they're pretty sure, like nine with like a high degree of certainty. I don't want to give you a number, but that they use boards and flat. Well, an example like of that. that is in yeah, Spanish. Look at, head. look at what Tut's head must have looked like. It was all fucking weird. Yeah, it was all stretched out. Like look at that. Like if you saw if you saw that on the ship of a, a spaceship on the deck. 
like walking around, you'd be like, oh my God, that's the alien. Oh, he must be from another planet, right? Like if you were on a spaceship, say if you're watching Star Trek and that dude walks by, you're like, well, for sure, that dude must be playing someone from another With planet. With a martini on his yeah. head. Like, look, the top of his head is flat. There's all this extra <clears throat> brain. It looks like there's like 10% extra brain, maybe more. What the, what the fuck is going on back there? Here's the flathead Indians. This is a painting of There you Whoa. go. Yeah. Caitlin. They did the babies. That would make you very non-aerodynamic. You'd be like a Land Rover Defender, like a big flat square thing. Similar <laughs> skulls, though. Oh, wow. That normalizing... Mm. Uh, it's crazy looking, isn't it? A royal weirdness. You ever hear Spanish people speak? They have the lisp. The lisp, yeah. Well, they say that's because one of the kings had a lisp, and then all the you know courtiers started replicating it to seem cool. You had told me about that, and I had forgotten when it came up the other day when someone was bringing up Abitha. And then I, Abitha. Yeah, yeah, and then I remembered it after the podcast was over. Yeah, I don't know that that's true. That I mean, I haven't looked it up if it's uh, historically accurate or even if there's a way to know. Because there are no recordings, right? Do you know the powdered wig one? Do you know where that no, came from? No, Ooh, That's the best one. That is a weird one. That came from syphilis. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. How? Because oh, men started getting syphilis. Find, find out what year it was. I forget what year. We just brought it up recently. But there was uh, a royal family, um, I think two brothers. They both had syphilis. And they started losing their hair. And a lot of men were losing their hair to syphilis back then. They just had it. Nobody knew what the fuck it was, right? So they would make wigs. And the more expensive you, you more uh, expensive the wig was, the bigger it would be. So the really rich people would be big wigs. Big wigs. That's where big wigs come from. And they literally put this style on to mask the effects of syphilis. Jesus. It's I, a great story. I didn't know syphilis made your hair fall. Fall, fall yeah. Your teeth rot out. You're falling apart, man. You're yeah. rotten from I mean, the your inside. Your nervous system gets yeah, really and screwed. you're shooting your rotten jizz into somebody and giving it to them, too. And you don't even know what the hell's going on. <laughs> Louis Fourteenth was only 17 when uh. his mop started thinning. Yeah. So um, 1655, when the king of France started losing his hair. And so uh, if you scroll down, it goes into the, the whole syphilis thing. Wig out. So where where's the syphilis part? Uh, they they mentioned up above that he probably yeah. had fucking crazy. The brothers had syphilis. Yeah, apparently everybody had it back then. You yeah. just imagine these people. I mean, they only lived to be thirty. The syphilis outbreak sparked a surge in wig making. <laughs> Victims hid their baldness as well as bloody sores that scoured their faces with wigs made out of horse, goat, or human hair. Perukes were also created, uh, coated rather with powder. Scented with lavender or orange to hide any funky aromas. Although common wigs were not exactly stylish, they were just a shameful necessity. Hmm. So the king of France started losing his hair in 1655, and that's when everybody hopped on. And his cousin, Charles II, did the same thing. Both men likely had syphilis. <laughs> syphilis created a whole like a thing where like judges would wear those wigs, yeah. those powdered wigs. They, they would look like they were important people. Look at my wig. You know what we're doing right now? Detribalizing. Right now? Yeah. See, we're looking at our own culture. I mean, it's British culture in this right. case. but and, and seeing how it's all this arbitrary silliness. Mm -hmm. And that's travel. That's what travel does for you. Sure. You know, because you see it in other cultures, and then you look back at your own, and you're like, oh, shit, we do weird shit, too. Yeah. We're fuck. We're all weird. There is no – it's like the 
uh, what is it, Einstein, right? That there's no fixed point from which to observe anything. Mm -hmm. You're always on a moving, your perspective is always mobile. Yeah. So there is no objective truth culturally. It's mm. it's all looking at one thing from another thing, and both of them are moving. Yeah, I love that shit. Yeah. Because and and again, I think it leads to humility. I think so too. You know, but I think also, all, greater, all roads lead to yeah. humility ultimately. It just leads to a greater perspective. I mean, if you live in a small town, and I'm not knocking Ohio, Jamie, but if you live in a small town in Ohio, that's what you're used to. Yeah. And you kind of like develop your pattern of what you expect to see in the world based on what's around you in a, in a very close, immediate area. But if you're in the fucking rainforest of Bolivia and you're hanging out with these tribal folks who are uh, going to go hunt a monkey and you're with them on a monkey hunt and they're all excited. They shoot this monkey out of a tree with a bow and arrow they made themselves. And then they're cooking this monkey over a fire and throwing wet leaves on it and smoking it. And you're like... What the fuck? And these people do this every day and they're going to die in this forest. I mean, this is what they this is what they do. This is how they live. And for you, it's like, I got to get out of here. For them, this is like, this is the small town in Ohio. This is just the yeah. small town in Ohio in the jungle. Like, this is, yeah. this is to them, this is their world. And maybe, interestingly, for you, it isn't, I got to get out of here. Maybe, maybe it's, yeah. it's like, this is where I should should have been my whole life. Yeah. There are thousands of cases of people from civilization running away to go native. There are no historical cases that I know of where native people have chosen to come and live in civilization. Yeah, I hate to beat a dead horse because I always do, but Sebastian Younger's tribe is amazing for Great that. book. I yeah. really enjoy yeah, that book. I, love yeah. it. I talk about it too much. It's one of those things. People it's a good to book. Annoyed at me. <laughs> it's a uh, It is really good. Yeah. I've read it three times. Um, it's, it's a short book. It's, yeah. it's one of its... Uh, it covers a lot of the same ground that I cover in Civilized to Death, actually. Mm. I quote him in, in Civilized to Death, and, and some of the, we have some of the same sources. But yeah, he looked at some of the, that, uh, those accounts of people running away to go live with the natives. And it makes sense. Totally it, makes sense. I mean, sense. it makes sense like a dog. You ever read um, Call of the Wild? Jack London. Jack London, yeah. It's I about think I read a husky. It in high school. Yeah. It's, a very, it, it's a good book. It, it's about a husky who goes and lives with the wolves. Mm. It's essentially the story of the domesticated being going and living with the wild iterations of that same being, right? So right. it's like one of us and going to, you know, to live in the Amazon or whatever. There's, yeah. Oh, a, a fantastic book, if you like that kind of thing, is At Play in the Fields of the Lord. I've heard of that book as well, oh, but I never read that one. a great book, man. Yeah? Peter Matheson. That's an yeah. old book, right? Isn't it's it? It's probably 30 years old, maybe yeah. more. And it was made into a film starring Daryl Hannah and Tom Waits. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, who Damn. else? John Lithgow, Kathy Bates. Incredible, <sighs> wow. incredible cast. There's, yeah. a, there's something that you get from escaping civilization that you, it, you don't know you're missing it until you're out there. When you're out there, and I'm sure you experience this in your travels there's there's a certain detachment from the masses like just the, just just to be out of the hive in the influence of all the people around you as weird as it seems there's energy that we're all exchanging in these giant hives together and some people live off of it like those new york city people like my friend jeff lives in new york city he's always going to live in new york city this is what i like he likes it i love it he's walking through the streets honk honk bam, bam. yes that's his thing to me i'm like wow i'm always my my thought is always how do you guys do this how do you guys do this that's all i ever think how yeah. the fuck do you guys do this for him is how could you live any other way yeah but the people that but he has got a good life 
See, he's got a, he enjoys what he does. He's a fulfilled life. He's happy. But if you didn't, I think we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about Jardia. Have you ever I've had, had Jardia? Yeah, yeah. Got it's, it in Nepal. Oh, I heard it's rough. But, yeah, your farts smell really interesting. Well, you might not have got it too bad because I have a friend who got it really bad where he's sick in the hospital for like two days. Yeah, I didn't go to the hospital. I, by that point, I'd been traveling for a few years. I've you, had Jardia. You, I've had hepatitis. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had some, I've had, uh, you know, yeah. I spent three days in a room in Palenque shitting and puking into the same plastic bag. Oh, boy. Three days in the same bag? Yeah. What is it like after day three? Was, <laughs> if you had your worst after, enemy after and they were below you. the same you, as day one, man. If you were on the third floor, this was, <laughs> the worst enemy was yeah. below you just standing there smoking a cigarette, would you drop that bag on them or would you have mercy? <laughs> I'd have mercy. I don't have any enemies that bad. <sighs> yeah, you'd have to really hate somebody for that one. Yeah. Huh? And the funniest thing about that was I came out of that room after, it might have been two days, I don't know, but I came out of that room, you know, pale, emaciated, just totally drained. And I went out on the terrace of this, do you know Palenque? You ever been there? No, never. Oh, amazing Person's Mayan incredible. ruins yeah. and lots of magic mushrooms. I've lots only of been to together. one, to Chichen Itza. Uh, Chichen Itza is cool. Chichen Itza is much more sort of commercialized. Yeah. Palenque is pretty wild still. And Tulum is another one. Tulum, that's, that's out on is the that Yucatan. Or is that It's Mayan. It's Mayan Those still. are both Mayan. Anyway, I come out and there's this woman there, this German woman, and we start chatting a little bit. And she, and this was at a time in my life where I was really nervous around women and, mm. uh, you know, whatever. And this woman was like super into me. And I was like, so, I was like, I could not fuck you. Like I just there's no I didn't too much. I just I was felt so sick and horrible. And it turned out later I got to know her a little bit. She was really into punk music and she thought I looked like Johnny Rotten. <laughs> oh, so she thought you were cute because you she looked like Johnny cute Rotten. I looked like I was about to die. That's she hilarious. was into that look. Yeah. Just for people out there that you might go camping, please just get a gravity filter. Don't get Jardia. You can. It's real easy. It's real. And there's also a thing called a SteriPen. SteriPen's wonderful. Oh yeah. You take this SteriPen. You run it around in the water for a certain amount of time, and it kills everything bad in the water. And you even taste. It doesn't taste any different. It's literally ultra. Right, it's like UV light. light. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 There's a bunch of, like SteriPen's a good one, but these gravity filters are amazing. And they have pumps. They have another one. You could take some water and you pump it. And you pump it and it goes through the filter into your water bottle and you can drink it. Hmm. You can clean up all, like 99.99% of all the bullshit with just a good filter. Yeah. And it does, you don't have to drop chemicals in there. Some people bring yeah, little yeah, tablets, iodine tablets iodine, and stuff yeah, like that, but yeah. you don't need to. But please don't drink out of creeks, folks. <laughs> just, I don't. But, Shit could be dead but just a hundred yards up. I, I don't know if you if you can pull this up. But I just recently, I read a thing online saying that like it's almost never necessary to filter your water when you're in the when you're camping. And I've always filtered my water uh, camping. But it was this thing where they did all these. They took all these samples from uh, creeks, from creeks, and mm. and like apparently they're like self correcting mechanisms they in, are. in nature. But if something's dead, yeah, if something's 100 dead, yards 100 up, yards up, you're, you're fucked. Yeah. But you don't want that. It's yeah. not worth it. The gravity yeah. filter is so fucking easy. Yeah. It's like if you you could take the risk and shit your brains out for three days, or you can just enjoy yourself with water from the same place. I think shitting your brains out for three days is a good experience. Though. Yeah. It's like an ordeal poison, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, get, <laughs> you ever get high from vomiting? No. Have you? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, because when you vomit, you get all these endorphins. You don't feel like great after you vomit. 
I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go with great. That's true. I'm all, Relatively I mean, great. The last time yeah. I did some serious vomiting is I had food poisoning. About, yeah. I guess I was about 10 years ago. I had some pretty serious food poisoning. It was just hurling out of me. Yeah. That was the last real, real, like, unstoppable. Yeah. Where it's just coming out and just a fat tube of it. You ever have a colonic irrigation? No. I'm not into things going in my butt. Even <laughs> in, I, don't believe, I don't believe that that is necessarily a healthy thing either. Um, I don't believe it's not. That it's, yeah. but this all the the stuff that people saying that it's healthy for you. I'm like, I don't necessarily think it is. You're I was just talking to Andrew bio. Weil about that. You know yeah. him? I sent you an email about him. Actually, he's he's like you know him, the big beard. Mm -hmm. He's a fan of yours. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I was I was with him in Tucson, and he he saw he's an old friend of Paul Stamets. Mm -hmm. He was at Harvard when Leary was guy. there. Yeah. I can. I'll hook you up. He's okay. a super, Is he, he ever? You know here? who he is? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. he comes to, to L.A. He's he was the most famous doctor in America for years. He he. Um, but he's really interesting because he he was at Harvard with Leary. He studied under Richard Evan Schultes. His undergrad degrees in botany. Richard Evan Schultes is the guy who basically you know discovered in in commas hundreds of psychoactive plants in the Amazon. You know, amazing dude. Anyway. Um, so Andrew was right in the mix, and he sort of was central in Leary getting in trouble because Andrew wrote an article in the Harvard Crimson criticizing Leary for indiscriminately giving uh, psilocybin to students. Mm. And that's what triggered a lot of the tumult after that. But anyway, Andrew went on to uh, Harvard Med School uh, residency at Mass, Mass General in Boston, like top, top flight, you know, academic stuff. But instead, of, he got his MD, but then he went and worked at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, the main government research center. It's like early 70s, I think. And he has never wavered in his understanding that drugs are not necessarily bad. And mm. so he did these double-blind studies about marijuana, the first, I believe, double-blind studies of marijuana, where he said, like, okay, you know, people have tested marijuana and they say, oh, it's bad for your brain because what they do is they get people high who've never been high and then they give them a bunch of math questions and they have trouble, they can't answer them, whatever. He's like, I've been high. I don't want to do math when I'm high. So let's test people on things they like doing when they're high, like color perception or pattern recognition or ability to recognize tonal changes in music, things like that. And he found that their perceptions were actually heightened. Mm. So it's like, ah, see, marijuana is not bad. It's just bad for certain things and not others. So then he did, um, I think it was about driving. Where he said, okay, they find that marijuana impacts, impairs driving ability, but that's, again, because they're using naive people who've never been high before. And they don't have a chance to practice driving while high. So he got people, let them practice, let them get used to being high. Then he tested their driving ability versus what it had been before or when they're not stoned and average scores and all that. And he, again, he found that when people had a chance to practice, they drove fine. There's yeah. no problem. He got 
basically pushed out because he was finding, you know, he was demonstrating that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it's one of those things that we talked about before that sometimes people don't want to know the actual results. They just right. want to know the results that jive with their understanding of the and world. And this this is really dangerous in science yeah. because people are purporting to be objective in science. Yes, yes. And it is dangerous. so often they're not. And it's not fair. It's also not fair to all the people that were unjustly arrested and prosecuted and, and, right. and then imprisoned for something that's very beneficial. And they were saying, a lot of them, saying that they like it, saying yeah. that it does good things for them. Yeah. You know, it's not the end-all, cure-all, but there's not a goddamn thing that is. Right. But it's certainly a tool. Right. And, and look at it objectively. What, what's the you know, ratio of benefit to danger? Right. You know, how many people have died from marijuana overdose? Zero. Ever. Right? And yeah. so Andy Weil's been saying this since the 70s. That's amazing. Right? And his first book's called The Natural Mind. Then he wrote The Marriage of the Sun and the Moon. Then a book called From Chocolate to Morphine. These are all Whoa, that's about- that's a big stretch. <laughs> yeah. But chocolate is a drug, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and The Marriage of the Sun and the Moon, each chapter mm -hmm. is about a mind-altering substance or experience. Yeah. So vomiting is one chapter in there. <laughs> Cocaine, wow. mushrooms. So he and Paul Stamets have been buddies for 35 years or Does something. Does that have anything to do with bulimia? Is bulimia also like something where people are getting addicted to actual throwing yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah, and wow. there are religions where people vomit every morning. In India, I think Gandhi vomited every morning. <laughs> Jesus, Gandhi. And he drank his own piss, by the way. Way to go. Yeah. So anyway, Andy Weil <laughs> is this kind of hippie doctor dude with all the drugs and all that and the big white beard. And then he... Um, he became very famous in the 80s with books about alternative medicine, what he calls complementary medicine. Because he's not saying Western medicine's bad. He's saying it's good for some things and right. not the best approach to other things. Yeah. So he brings in Ayurvedic and Chinese and all these different uh, traditions depending on what the issue is. He became very mainstream, huge mega bestsellers on Oprah, cover of Time magazine. You know, he started a a school at the University of Arizona for doctors to get a certification in complementary medicine. So he's oh, wow. super mainstream successful, but he has never wavered on his stance on drugs. And so, yeah, imagine the pressures that were coming on that Unbelievable. guy. Unbelievable. And he's like, no, fuck it. The truth Especially is the, the truth. Especially in the 70s and the 80s. Right. All that say no to drugs era. Here's yeah. a question that you'd probably know the answer to. Um, there are obviously killing untold numbers of rhinos for their horns because men want to grind them up and it's supposed to get your dick hard. Does that work? Not for me. <laughs> Did you try it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've been out there killing rhinos on the sneak pit forever. You know, I mean, I, is there I any think... science to that? No, not that I'm aware of. That is the craziest genocide ever. And, and who's doing it? It's not Africans who think well, it's going to make their dicks no, hard. It's, it's Chinese. It's uh, Asian people right. uh, that apparently have uh, their. What I was told is that it's not even necessarily just about the idea that it gets your dick hard, but there is value in the fact that it's a forbidden thing that's very difficult to acquire. I think that's. I think it's a signaling. It's like yes. a Rolex watch yes. or a Lamborghini or whatever. It's look what at me. What my friend told me was that it's not just a signaling, but it's a signaling <clears throat> that you don't give a fuck. Like you're you're here to make money and get the best and have the best things and look, let's let's drink rhino tea and then we're going to eat shark's fin soup. Ha, 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 ha. And live monkey brain. Yeah. Have you seen that? I've seen that. That's, That's real, pretty huh? intense. That's real. I saw it in um, 
uh, faces of death. A bunch of people sitting around there whacking a monkey in the head with a hammer and his head stuck in this little thing. But I was like... In the table. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. really sure if that was real. And they scoop it out and eat it. Yeah, rattlesnake. The uh, monkey brains, though, isn't that like prions? Can't you get prions from primate brains? Yeah. Like you can, you could be deathly ill from that, right? Yeah. Like that's essentially what mad cow disease is. Yeah, yeah. From brains. Yeah, from cow, forcing cows yeah. to eat cows. That's where mad cow disease comes from. Yeah. Which is a uh, buddy of mine like, couldn't give blood because he was in England. He lived in England during the time that the mad yeah. cow. I was out. in Spain then. Yeah. I can't give blood because of the hepatitis. Ah, which one do you get? B or C? A. Is that a good one? Yeah, it's the that's the one. That's the easy one. That, oh, that's nice. The, yeah, I was like a month down, yellow eyes. Yeah? Yeah, like no energy. A month? That was, yeah, That uh, that's a long story. But that that, I actually got it from a guy who was sort of saving me from something else. That I, I never told you the whole scorpion in Guatemala story. I think you did, but I've, tell me again. Well, it's a long story. Oh. I, I, it, yeah. I mean, if I don't, you don't now, though, people will be, well, feel like they're getting. No, people off. can hear it. I, I've told it on my podcast, and I've also, I told it on a podcast called Risk. And they, uh, that's can you actually. Give us the cliff notes? Uh, yeah, but listen to the Risk thing if anyone wants okay. to hear the whole thing, because they, they added sound effects, and it's really good. What is Risk? It's a, it's a podcast. Uh, just, just call it or risk. it's a storytelling thing you oh, know okay. it's like the moth it's that kind of thing oh you know? nice yeah. and they added sound effects yeah they oh. produced it really well yeah. yeah it was well done um yeah what happened was i was i was with my girlfriend at the time puerto rican super beautiful Holla. puerto rican girl did she try to get you to go to a camp away and talk about jesus or no she never tried <laughs> to talk to me about jesus but i would have listened because she, she was too interested in el diablo she was great um so I was with her in Guatemala, and uh, we had met this other couple, um, Solange and uh, Fabrizio. Whoa. And, um, yeah, we were at this place called Tikal in uh, northeast Guatemala, way, way back in the jungle. And it's Mayan ruins. Beautiful. Crazy. You know, it was like a big city. And now they're, you know, at, at, when I was there, this was 1989, there were maybe... 10 big ruins, uh, big temples that they'd uncovered. And wow. uh, we're staying in this campsite with hammocks. It was very primitive at the time. Anyway, uh, we it was a full moon, and Anna and I decided we were going to take some acid and watch the moon rise and the sunset up from the top of Temple mm. 4. It's called the Jaguar Temple. And so we went up with this other couple, and there's this ledge up there, and it's up above tree line. You know, you're way above the tree line. You can hear, see the monkey, hear the monkeys, and and like see out over this flat jungle, the Paten, I think it's called. And um, so we're up there, and the sun's sinking, and the moon is rising, and the moon comes up. It's beautiful, and and there's this um, big bank of storm clouds. And the full moon is like between the horizon and the storm clouds, but then it starts to go up behind these clouds and you can see it's going to get dark as fuck, right? So this other couple are like, yeah, we're going to go back to the campsite. They didn't know we were tripping, right? <laughs> and we timed it so we were peaking like now, you right. know? And 
so they're going to go back to the campsite. So we, but we were like, yeah, we're going to just hang here, right? So I went over to hold the flashlight for them as they went down this ladder. It was like maybe a 30 foot ladder, pipe ladder drilled into this. The temple's made out of limestone blocks. And so to get up there, yeah, there you go. Wow. Temple four. So Dude, we're, that's steep. Yeah. Is that you temple guys climbed up that? Is that temple four, though? Uh, so the, the Jaguar Temple? Yeah, that's what I, that's, I typed in Temple 4 Jaguar. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, when I was there, it was much more overgrown. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so we, we went up to the top of the, that, looks like it there on the right. Yeah, that looks like it from like when we were there. Anyway, so we're up on that ledge there. That's and, a crazy uh, And see how flat point. the the jungle is? Yeah, it just goes forever. amazing. It's so crazy how it's almost like uniform in height. Yeah. I mean, it just varies, varies a little bit, but... Oh, look at that picture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. It looks like a picture I took, actually, <laughs> up there. Um, anyway, That's so... That's insane looking. That's so beautiful. So we're up there, and uh, and I'm holding the ladder for these guys going down, and they're like, okay, we're good. I'm like, okay. I turn off the ladder, and I take a step, and... Oh, fuck! Ow! What the fuck was that? I turn the flashlight back on. I see the scorpion going up the wall, scurrying up the wall, like four inches green. And then there are like three other ones on the wall. It's like, fuck, this thing's crawling with fucking scorpions. And I just got stung on the toe. While you're on acid. While I'm tripping. And thank God I didn't jump because I would have dropped 30 feet to fucking rocks. You oh, know? my God. So I go back to Anna. And uh, I was like, shit. She said, what happened to you? I said, I just fucking scorpion. Like, watch out. And like, oh, Jesus, right. Oh, oh my God. So we're kind of like, oh, are they dangerous? I don't know. I, I don't know. Are they? I don't know. So um, now it's getting dark, right? Because the moon's going behind these clouds. And there's this other, these two dudes, like way over on the other side of the ledge. And we go over to them. And they're Italian. And they don't speak English. But... Anna spoke Spanish, so she was talking to them in Spanish and Italian, and you couldn't sort of understand, you know? They're both Latin, similar languages. And those guys were like, oh, I don't know. And we were like, watch out, because they're all around. Like, oh, shit, yeah. So while we're talking to them, now it's totally dark. This Guatemalan dude comes up the ladder with an old bolt-action rifle, and he's like the night guard or something. So we go over to him, and Anna says to him in Spanish, um... Uh, son, pelig son peligrosos los escorpiones. And they got, are they dangerous, the scorpions? And the guy says, si son letales, hay muertos. Oh. They're lethal. They're deaths. I'm like, oh, fuck, man. I understood enough Spanish to get that. So you're thinking you're dying. So I'm like, yeah. This is fuck, it. This is it. April, full moon of April 1989. Yeah, I was Dude, 27. That was right around the time when Trump's plane crashed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What if it was exactly the same time? I think, dun, I think dun, dun, dun. talk about being in Mercury was in retrograde. In your life. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a table with that Puerto Rican girl while you were with that other Puerto Rican girl up there. Puerto Rican Maybe. girls crossed our paths. Maybe. Yeah. We both survived. Just barely. So what happened to you? So I'm thinking like, fuck, I got to get down from here. Right. Because there's no way anyone else could carry me down. Right. All these ladders and you couldn't get a stretcher down. Right. So <sighs> if I'm going to survive, I got to get down on my own quickly. So then if I collapse, they can get an ambulance. Although we're like, you know, two days from Guatemala City and whatever the town was. I don't even know if they had a clinic or I, I don't know, but we were pretty remote. And um, 
like they're not going to send out a helicopter or some shit like that, right? So uh, I get down. I oh, so what happens is my girlfriend's freaking out. Um, no, no criticism of her. I think it's much harder to watch someone you love die than to die yourself. In in this case. And so she's like, oh, fuck, you're dying. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe. And so the, one of the Italian dudes is like, look, you guys go. I'll stay with her and, you know, make sure she's all right. And so I go down with this other Italian dude. We go down the ladder and we get down to the, the floor and we start walking around the jungle. And it's fucking totally dark now because the moon's totally obscured. And the jungle, you know how when you're tripping, you're you're pupils are super dilated so you can see light and stuff that normally you might miss they're like the jungle in guatemala is full of glowing worms and shit flying by that's all like green and blue and yeah yeah and they're like these caterpillars and like holy shit this place is wild so we're walking around lost totally dark tripping i'm tripping he doesn't know i'm tripping how how tripping are you Tripping. <laughs> <laughs> that was three head nods, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm peaking right. from the acid plus all the adrenaline. Right. And so this pain is running up my leg. And as it, it's like running up my, the bone in the center of the leg, this kind of fire. And when it gets to the top of muscles, they seize up. Oh, so wow. like, you know, my from the knee down, it's just like rigid. And, I, and then my tongue starts swelling and my throat starts swelling and I got this like Novocaine feeling in my lips and I'm sort of drooling and um, and I'm thinking when this gets to my heart, that's that's when I die. And so I'm, I'm with this guy and we're lost. And and at first, like I'm freaked, I'm like scared. And then it occurs to me that... I'm saying my last words to a guy whose face I've never seen because we didn't shine the light in his face when we were talking to him. And he doesn't understand English. And that cracks me up. That I just I start laughing like a fucking maniac. And he's like got his arm around me. He thinks I'm like losing it. And I'm just like, this is hilarious. And I think about my friends and how they're going to be like, yeah. You know, good on Chris. You know, he, he didn't die in some dumbass way like we all thought he would. Right. <laughs> you know, he died in this. It's still a dumbass way, but at least it's interesting. And then I started thinking, you know, all right, I'm 27, but I've been around the world. I literally around the planet. I've been in love. I've had sex with gorgeous women who loved me, who, you know, I've. I, I I made a shit ton of money. I walked away from it. I I've done I've done everything I wanted to do. I'm 27, but I've done everything, and I've had a fucking amazing life. Wow! And this is cool. I'd have been crying like a bitch. I'd be like, not yet, I'm not done. You know, I felt really bad for my parents and mm-hmm. and Anna, but for myself, I was like. I've had a good fucking run. It's not as long as I would have liked, but I've had a good fucking run. So I, I really came to this peace and like the world doesn't owe me shit, man. 
I've had, I mean, I'd been in Alaska two summers at that point. I worked in New York in Manhattan for two years at that point with a guy who offered me a million dollars if I would stay. And I said no. And I left. Wow. I flew to India. I'd been in Asia for two years. You said no to a million bucks? When I was... 26. Why'd you say no to a million bucks? What was the, the catch much, was, what did he need to do to you? <laughs> no, he was a really good guy. Actually. He, I, I liked him a lot. Um, the million bucks was, he said, when you're 30, you'll have a net worth of a million dollars. And if you don't, I'll write you a check for the, whatever you're missing and we'll notarize it. And this guy's worth $30 million or something. So he just wanted you to work for him. He wanted me to stay. And I wanted to go. I wanted to see the world. And hmm. this guy hired me to help him manage his family's property in Midtown Manhattan. And the main reason he hired me is because I didn't give a shit about money. So he knew I wouldn't steal from him. Oh, that's interesting. And then when it stopped being fun and new, I was like, I got to go. And yeah. he's like, no, no, stick around. I'll make it worth your while. And so there was this weird dynamic. But anyway, I'd, I'd had all these experiences, and so I was- You were at peace. i like, hey, th- yeah, I've had a good run. So anyway, we finally, we, we come out into this little parking lot, and there's this Guatemalan kid there, maybe 10 or something. And the Italian guy talks to him and says, scorpion, scorpion. And the kid looks at me like, oh, my God, come, come. And he, he takes us to this trailer, and we bang on the door, and this horrible fluorescent light comes on. And this like Guatemalan dude who obviously had been drunk and asleep, you know, is like, what? And like the kid says he's the doctor. He's not a doctor. He's some jungle dude, whatever. And the so the guy takes us in and he's talking, you know, it's sort of it's talking broken English. And I explained to him, he says, how big is the scorpion? He looks at my foot. He says, how big was the scorpion? I say, yeah, like, you know, this big, like a finger and what color, gray, green sort of. And he says, oh, yeah, 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 that's not a scorpion. That's alacran. So in Spanish, in that part of Guatemala anyway, there are two different words. A scorpion is a little red thing. Alacran is a big green thing. But they're both with the tail and the, you know. And uh, so we had been using the word scorpion because in English that's all there is. But scorpion, a scorpion in that part of Guatemala is lethal. And that's a little tiny thing. That's a little red thing. And that'll fucking take you out. But the guy's like, look, you're still, this was two hours ago and you're still alive. You'll be fine. Apparently it's like if you have a bad heart or you're a kid, maybe this will kill you. But if you're, if you survive a couple hours, you're going to be all right. Speaking of something I I read today, uh, something about the Atkins guy. This is an interesting story. You know, the Atkins diet. It's it's very controversial because Atkins yeah. diet is a lot of uh, yeah. protein stuff. Um, I had heard that the guy uh, died of a heart attack, and that um, they weren't being completely honest. As apparently even Snopes says it's not clear. Um, the guy had he felt like he was the head of like it's so weird when this happens. The Atkins diet guy when he died he weighed two hundred fifty eight pounds, so he was overweight hmm. and he was seventy two years old. And uh, the story was that he slipped on ice in front of his house and hit his head. Um, but he also had a history of heart disease. I, I did not know that. And he had had heart attacks. Is that why he got into the research that led to the diet? I don't know. I don't know. I just read that today. I'm like, like that there's some conspiracy. And it was, it was a vegan guy who was talking about it. Uh. That there's a conspiracy about Atkins. And that Atkins really died 
from a heart attack. Which would ruin the brand. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I found out he was 258 pounds, I was like, wait, how? Wait, that's heavy. How tall was he? The report concludes that Dr. Atkins, 72, at had a history of heart attack and congestive heart failure. And notes that he weighed 258 pounds at death. Yeah. So he was really unhealthy. Which is really interesting. Because that whole diet, the Atkins diet, like a lot of people were um, really criticizing that diet. Yeah. And saying that it's really terrible and that all the, the fat and all the stuff, all the protein you eat, you really shouldn't eat that much. But it's very similar to what a lot of people are eating now. When they're eating paleo and they're eating low carb, but apparently the real problem with, and I read this today, about fat, high fat diets is if you're going to eat a high fat diet, it must be a low carb diet as well. You cannot have high, high fat and carbs. Hmm. That is really bad for you hmm. because your body is going to use all the carbohydrates for fuel and all the fat that you eat is just going to be stored. And apparently that combination, especially with saturated fats, is very bad. So you want to be ketogenic or Yeah, close or you to want it. to be close to it. Yeah. You know, you want to you essentially want to eliminate most of the stuff that people love, like pizza and bread and pasta. Eliminate almost all that stuff. Yeah. That's just all those unnatural foods. But the point being that I'd never heard that uh, I'd heard, always heard that he had fallen. And I, I'd assumed that anything other than that would be a conspiracy theory. Hmm. But then I read that and I was like, whoa. You know who wrote it? Now I remember John Joseph from the Cro-Mags. You know that guy? He's a vegan, super healthy, ultra marathon uh, triathlon dude now. He used to be, well, he still is, lead singer of the Cro-Mags. I think they're still around. I know he tours still. Might be torn on his own now. But he wrote that about Atkins today. I was like, hmm. Yeah. Well, just to tie this together, the guy, after he explains this to me, he gives me a couple pills, probably aspirin or something, and he dips some water out of a bucket and says, take these pills, you'll be fine. I'd been traveling a long time. I knew you don't drink water out of a bucket in the tropics, but this guy just told me I wasn't going to die, so I'll do whatever the fuck he says. I drank the water, and a week later I had hepatitis. Wow. That's how I got the hepatitis. You got hepatitis from a bucket that this dude had laying around his dirty shed. <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. Exactly. And that's You narrowed it down to that particular moment that you got hepatitis. Well, I, I assume. I mean, that's a pretty Could, high risk pretty move. Pretty high risk. Yeah. 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 Fucking crazy people with their gut biome down there. You know, they can... It's like if you see other animals drink out of a puddle, do you freak out? No. Yeah. Like a dog drinks out of a puddle, you don't freak out because the dog's got body is going to handle that. Well, that's what Jeff Leach was telling me about the Hadza. They drink right out of mud puddles all the time. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's why he wanted their microbiome. That's so, so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we have a weak-ass, bitch-ass, preservative-laden microbiome. Yeah, antibiotics. Yep. You can't avoid them. It's hard to stay alive, you know, if you get really, really, really sick. Oh, no, I'm not talking about medical. I'm talking about in the shit. food supply, in oh, the yeah. water supply. They're That's everywhere bad. in America. I don't know if that really affects us that much. They, one of the things that I was – I don't think there's levels of antibiotics in the water supply that's really affecting us. It's possible that some of it is getting to us in the food supply. 
But more so than not, I think the issue is poor dietary choices because poor dietary choices are the number one factor in like what affects your microbiome. Super low fiber. Yeah, low fiber, um, just not just not eating healthy. If you're eating a lot of sugar in particular, you got candida running around your mm. gut, and it, the, the, the unhealthy bacteria reacts better right. to that, and just your body starts craving it. That's one of the weirder things about when you do eat a low-carb diet is your body really doesn't crave carbohydrates anymore. It's like it's a trick, but when you're on carbohydrates, if you eat them a lot, man, your yeah. body's craving them all the time. Right. It's like you are being influenced by those organisms that are in your digestive tract, yeah. which is really freaky. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the whole sort of super organism. I yeah. think you and I have talked about yeah. that in the past, the idea that toxoplasmosis, mm-hmm. you know about that? Sure, I mean, yeah. Jesus, these things that get into the brain and determine behavior mm-hmm. and, and from the gut as well can yeah. determine. I mean, not even something as simple, you know, this is a simple example of like wanting Wanting the organism to crave the thing that that, that works for them, yeah. but not for the organism. Yeah. But man, the weird, like really complex behaviors that are created by some parasites in the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, cats that uh, or, or mice that aren't afraid of cats and are actually attracted to the smell of cat piss. Sexually attracted. Yeah, they yeah. get turned on. By yeah, it. it's crazy. And that that bacteria. Or this uh, toxoplasmosis can only grow and it can only um, reproduce inside a cat's gut, right? Which is fucking bananas, right? Like yeah. Sapolsky, we had Sapolsky, Robert Sapolsky. Oh, he's on the great. Front. He's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and he went into depth about that. And it's just it's one of those things where you just stop and go, what? He's a cool guy. I remember mentioning him to you once on this podcast, and Jamie brought up his his photo, and you looked at his photo and you said. There's a guy who does not give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you look at him, his crazy fucking hair, it's yeah, all like a ponytail like and shit. He's homeless or something. He's just, he's interested in the work, yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah, the work. Yeah. But he was gracious enough to give us an hour. There he is right there. Great. Yeah. Super nice guy, too. But just, uh, I mean, his work with baboons as well was covered in uh, a Radio Lab podcast. It's a fascinating podcast where they observed like this baboon, this temporary baboon utopia, where uh, yeah, you and I talked about yeah, that, where the yeah. the upper ranking males ate the contaminated meat and died out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love yeah. that story. It's a great that's, story. That's one of the only hopeful fucking stories out there. Well, I, I feel like there's certain pockets of humanity. Like, I mean, I've never been to Burning Man, but I assume that that's sort of a representation of that as well. Certain pockets of humanity where like-minded people get together and they say, well, it doesn't have to be like this. Like, just because we're all caught up in this crazy trap and yeah. i think more of those little pockets of humanity are popping up day in day out i think, I think this right. podcast represents that in a lot of way too yeah. you know we're talking about the podcast being a cult of its own creation in in a some community ways. i yes. think it's more of a, more community. Of a community well yeah. no one's asking you to do anything and right. there's no there's no you know there's no rules but it's it's an opportunity for like-minded discussion that's rarely present in cubicle life. You just don't, what do you think about, that. I mean, podcasting, in the intro to this this podcast book we were talking about earlier, I said that I think that podcasting is on a par with the invention of the printing press in terms of the potential for radical social change. Because there's no, like you said before, there's no filter. There's nothing between you and your audience. Yeah. And that's a radical thing. I mean, the printing press said, 
when the printing press came about, what that meant was you didn't need to have a team of scribes to copy out this thing that you've written, right? right. So you can be just a regular guy and pay a thousand bucks or whatever the equivalent of that was in medieval Europe and have all these pamphlets printed. So you could be Martin Luther and change the world right. if you have a good idea and it takes hold. Podcasting seems similar to that in, in, in the sense that anybody who can afford a few mics and a laptop can get their message out. Yeah. And if it catches fire, it catches fire. It, and it goes around the world. You could do it on a phone, too, like we're saying. You don't really need a whole lot of equipment. Yeah. A lot of people use one of those small MP3 mics, a Zoom. We used that early oh, on. I still great. use a Zoom. Those Love are great. It. Yeah. yeah. I, I think maybe. I think you're probably you're on to something. I think the internet in general and, and the ability mm. for people to just create their own content, that's the real the, – the, the gatekeepers to the masses have always been these – Production companies, content providers, networks, all these people, the hollowed halls, and those people all got fat on it in a weird way because the gatekeepers are the ones that hoarded all the money. I mean, they gave some of the money to the actors and some of the money to the writers, and everybody got wealthy. Don't get me wrong. But the gate, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world is the one that really got rich. If you look at that guy, like that guy's the guy that really got rich. And of he's course, really happy too. Oh, he's doing really well right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing super well. That's great. Uh, he, I mean, Obviously, that guy's the worst example, right? But he obviously also, on a positive note, financed a lot of amazing movies. And if, if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have gotten done. But clearly, those people who do that, they're a different thing. They're business people. Yeah. Now is the first time ever that there's a direct connection between a guy like you and a guy like whoever's listening to this right now. That's never happened before. I mean, the only one in the room, you know... We have Jamie helping out, and then it goes to the server, and then it's uploaded to the RSS feed, and then it goes to iTunes, and it goes to wherever the fuck you're getting your podcast from, and that's it. Yeah. There's no steps. There's no network. There's no notes. There's no production media. If you did your podcast, and your podcast was on some radio network somewhere, you'd have to go to meetings, weekly mm -hmm. meetings at the studio. You'd have some fucking program director, some dick fuck asshole who wants yeah. to tell you it's what business. not to talk about anymore. Yeah. Look, you're losing You're losing sponsors. I don't, advertisers. Even, I don't even have advertisers. Good for you. Yeah, I do it. I had them for a while, and I just got tired of listening to myself talking about nah. underwear and shit. <laughs> so just do it for fun now? No, it's supported through Patreon. And, That's great, too. You know, uh, people send me money. This is what I think, ultimately. I think, ultimately, people will – someone's going to develop some sort of an app thing where you can – you can like have basically everything you put out, your podcasts, blogs, all that. It would all be like a channel. You could even call it channel. Mm. And that would be like a new social media platform that you could do everything from. You know, and people could either sign up for it and pay for it or not. You know, that's how Sam Harris has it. You could either pay for his podcast or not. That's how you have it too, right? Yeah, although you get it for free. Yeah, you get it for free. Yeah. So if you want to support, if you want to support it, you, you can. Pay, you pay. And I do some uh, some bonus stuff mm -hmm. uh, for Patreon only. Yeah, but Sam does. Too. It can be a buck a month. You know. Yeah, why not? And I think there's the the future is probably going to be something like that. That's the present, as you said. Yeah. I mean, Sam's doing it. Uh, yeah. Duncan's got a Patreon thing. I do. You got to get a Patreon, Joe. No, I make, make some money. I make plenty of money with ads. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I'm trying to think of like what. It's almost like 
give the option if you pay you get no ads or free a lot of people do ads. that that's a good like move. dan savage does that he has the, the i forget what it's called but yeah there's the ad free version and the that's probably a good sponsored move. version that makes sense because that way if you don't want to pay for it you don't have to but the point being that you can reach a whole lot of people forget about paying you can reach a whole lot of people and get ideas to a whole lot of people that you could just never reach before. No one would let you. Why would anybody invest in you? Why would anybody put that time in? And then you're going to keep all of it? What? Yeah. No way. You well, think about publishing now, right? I write a book. That book comes out. Somebody buys a copy of Sex at Dawn right now in paperback. I get 8.25% of the, of the price. That's hilarious. Minus 15% of that that goes to my agent and then taxes. That's hilarious. Right? I mean, a pimp lets a hooker keep 50% of the money. Wow. A stingy pimp. What is a gay lady like uh, J.K. Rowling's when she's balling on top of the world? What kind of deal does she get? Well, it depends what she signed, right. you know? But, I mean, she's already, like Stephen King, people right. like her, they can cut a totally different deal. Right. Um, but the standard contract is what I had, That's which so is, crazy. you know, eight percent on hard copy it's eight percent for five thousand copies then ten percent five thousand then twelve percent after that in hard copy and then paperback is eight point two five percent forever how many books have you sold in america maybe four hundred thousand four hundred fifty thousand something like that it's a lot of books not really not really i mean it's in Think like about 20 it languages that's what's cool it's oh, worldwide filled with 400,000 people. It's a lot of books if you look at it that way. That's how you have to look at yeah. it because that's what it really is. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in terms of money, it's oh, not right. that much money, right, especially right. if you you know stretch it out over the years it took to write mm -hmm. it and, and all the yeah. promotion and all that. It's not a way to make a lot of money writing no. books. Even It used to be. If you had a New York Times bestseller back in the day, you made a lot of money. Really? But the reading audience is much smaller now than it was 20, 30 years ago. What about books on cassette or audio? That's uh, a different deal. You sign a deal generally with Audible. They sort of own that market, which is uh, an Amazon company, right? And, uh, yeah, you get – I forget what the – percentages, but it's probably 18 to 20, something like that. Mm -hmm. And also um, ebooks, you get a slightly better deal. I think you get 17.5% of the price of an ebook, which is funny though, because it's not costing the publisher anything additional to have an ebook, right? right? It's already edited, it's already the cover and all that, it's already done, and there's no distribution cost. So right. So you get 17.5% as a writer. They get the rest. That's so crazy. There's no trucks. There's no shelf. There's no store. No reason for them to be getting all that money. No. That's so crazy. It's all gravy for them. Yeah, and it's not like they're recouping costs. And it used to be, like back in you know Hemingway or whatever, back in the day, a publisher would, would uh, support an author through three, four, five books thinking eventually something's going to hit. This guy's right. got talent. Eventually. Right. And so as an investment, now they expect you to have your own platform, your own access to media. You, sometimes they're asking authors to hire their own editors, their own publicists, right? Really? Yeah. But they still get all the money. They still get the same contract. The, the so ratios crazy. are the same. So it's like, yeah, that's why I say it's like a Napster kind of thing. Yeah. It's at the point now where it's like, wait a minute. If I got a platform, I got access to media, I'm hiring my own editor. Why, why am I giving you creative control and 92% of the fucking revenue. It's, mm. it's a strange business. 
That is a strange business. Now, essentially what they have is credibility. So if you self-publish or publish with some independent publisher, the like New York Times isn't going to review it or, you know. They won't? No. Wow. Because it's a very it's a really insular world. <laughs> well, that's, tr- that's crazy. If it's a book it? that takes off, then a publisher will come in and buy it. So like Fifty Shades of Grey, that was self-published. I wonder why. Yeah. But look what happens. Yeah, they found they tapped into a market, a chick that likes to get spit on. Right? There are a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I don't know about They're spit hiding. on. Oh, yeah. But certainly. Choked. Yeah. Smacked around. By a billionaire. Yeah. Good looking. Good looking guy with a heart of gold. Heart of gold. But he likes to spit in your mouth. Yeah. And then she, <laughs> and then it, ultimately he'll see the light and, and. Of course. He'll be tamed. Of course. That's the, the story. fantasy. Yeah. That's the fairy tale. <laughs> that's what everybody wants. See, that's why I was saying earlier, I've got this idea. I was talking to Duncan about this the other night. I've got this idea to write an erotic memoir. Mm. But that'll sort of be like my last book. Because at that point, I'll, I'll have burned all the bridges. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you'll be the only person who would ever interview me after that. I think I was planning for it to come out around my 60th birthday, and it, it'll be called an old manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> it's just if you change the names of people. Oh, no, I'm not worried about the people. I'm not going to hurt anyone right. in the book. I'm sure. It's more just about, you know. How many people you fucked and people find out the truth? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dude, you're going to become legendary. Listen, but, it, but it's not a, you, though, but it's not a book about how much I got laid. It's not a, know, it's not a book about how cool I am. I it's a book about the amazing things I've learned in sexual situations. Right. And that the world is so different from what people think. Mm. How so? There's just so many things going on that mainstream people can't imagine. Like, I mean, I was in college the first time a man told me he would be happy for me to have sex with his wife. And it wasn't a kinky, weird thing. It was like, I'm not doing it. She's wonderful. I noticed that you guys like each other. I just want you to know. It's cool with me. Wow. That's the first time. Since then, there have probably been, I don't know, half a dozen or something. Um, mothers are like, would you please have sex with my daughter? Because she really, you know. She's a good one. <laughs> Generally, it's because she didn't like the boyfriend. Always. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, will you show my daughter like there's a world out there that she doesn't know about? Yeah, there's always that. But then you know, they recruit you, and you're, you got to take on the project. Well, you know, should you choose to accept it? Should you choose to accept it? They expect you to stick around as well. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yeah. No? Yeah. Yeah. The um, world. So just the world's stu- weird stuff that people think like you know, oh my God, if you know you have sex with someone's wife and he knows he's going to kill you. Well, maybe not. Maybe he'll take you out for a beer afterwards and you'll be friends. This is the subject of Ari Shafir's podcast this week with our uh, with uh, Aubrey Marcus, mm. and they're talking about open relationships right. and they get super honest. Yeah, it's very intense. I think that we live in cultural patterns. And that what we see around us, we replicate. I think there's a lot of evidence for that. If you just pay attention, forget about studies. Just look at how different people are in other parts of the world. People that are putting plates in their lips and rings through their noses. Right. People that the right. way people tattoo themselves, the way people 
express themselves in dance like human beings vary so wildly in what we accept and what we don't accept i was going to bring up japan earlier it's one of the more fascinating uh travel uh experiences i've had was going to japan because when you go to tokyo you realize like this is a completely different way of living like they have a completely different way of interacting on the streets they have a completely different way that they have decorated their buildings mm -hmm. completely different like I, I have tattoos. They told me I had to wear long sleeves at the gym. I had to go back and change my shirt. Hmm. They don't accept uh, exposed tattoos. It's associated with organized crime. Yes. So yeah. I had to go back. And uh, just there's a lot of that, like where you realize, like, this is a totally different way of living. But if I lived there, I would live like these people. So the, the, the momentum of these patterns in these cultures gets established. And then it takes something radical to lift them. And to free people from these patterns. And once they're free from these patterns, then they have a real opportunity to objectively uh, assess the way they behave and whether or not this is the way they want to behave or the way they want to live or whether or not they're just expected to because of this unthinking culture, right. this momentum. I think that's what podcast is doing. The, 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 the big thing with podcasts is that it's creating more narratives and it's, it's creating more discussions about interesting subjects and more questions and discussions about like why we live our life a certain way. And if you live a regular life with regular people, what are the odds that you get a chance to sit down with a guy like you for three hours or a guy like Graham Hancock or a guy like, you know, fill in the blank, all the fascinating people that you or I have talked to in our podcasts. And then th these conversations get right into someone's head while they have their earbuds on while they're at work typing some nonsense <laughs> bullshit into some fucking form that they have to yeah. fill out because that's what they do for a living. Yeah. That's what's different. And that's never happened before. These like no generation before the podcast generation had that option. You had Howard Stern. You had, and it was always funny. You had, uh, you know, uh, Art Bell was always weird. And then you had like all the right wing wacko dudes on AM talk radio, the Michael Savages, and mm. you know the fucking Rush Limbaugh's, and you had all those people. But you Screamers. didn't, have, yeah, you didn't have a, a guy who just talks about whatever he wants to talk about. You had to be like, well, Chris, before we give you this radio broadcast show. What, what kind of a show are you going to do? Are you going to do a left-wing show? Are you going to do a show on cooking? What are you going to do? Yeah. Like, no, I'm going to talk about sex and tribes and about how I think monogamy is just a, it's just a cultural construct. And really, the way we evolved, like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, you fucking hippie. <laughs> no Get out of my office. Yeah. There's no money in that. Yeah. Like, before, you know, if you came to someone and said, hey, I'm going to write this book, and it's going to sell about 400,000 copies, and it's basically saying monogamy is bullshit. What do you think? They'd be like, what the fuck out of here? Yeah. No one's going to buy that. Everybody wants to be monogamous and have a picket fence and uh, live in the same row of houses where everybody looks the same. Everybody's got this, oh, you have an in-ground pool, you lucky bastard. You know. But what, what podcasts have done is expose why we accept things as fact and why we just choose. It's because everybody around us does it. We are such a massive product of our environment, you know, and I think when we were talking earlier about race and about race being a determining factor for IQ, like you don't really ever know. You might know from studies, but you don't know until those people who have the high IQ have to live the lives of the people that have the low IQ. 
and they have to have the same environment that they grow up in and the same fears and the same influences, negative and positive, then you'll know. And even then you won't know because there's so many determining factors. Like, you know, I know people that are just way fucking smarter than me. They're just smarter. I just know they are. They're just smarter. What is that? I don't know. Is it the, the amount of studying they've done? Is it uh, the amount of knowledge? They, is it the, the path that they were on is different than my path? Or is it just their fucking brain works better? But also, what do we mean by smarter? Right. You know? I mean, I look at, at, at someone like you. Your discipline is a major factor in your success. So is that part of being smart? It's smart enough to understand that discipline is a worthwhile pursuit. All That's right. what it is. So what about someone who has a really high IQ that's sitting in a basement eating lots of ice cream and, and not doing what they want to do? That's not smart decision making for right. sure. Yeah. Well, but it's very high IQ. Right. So what do yeah. we mean? Right. Or a hunter-gatherer, these people in the Amazon we're talking about who can identify 500 different kinds of plants at a glance. Right. And, you know, n know the behavior of animals right. and all this stuff. But you give them an IQ test and they're, they're like under 100 for sure. Well, I've had conversations with people that are brilliant, super brilliant people in science. And they'll try to explain to me mixed martial arts in some fucked up cockamamie way and I have to stop them. Hmm. I'm going to stop. Okay, right now. You sound like a fucking moron, <laughs> and I know you're not, <laughs> professor. But, but you're talking about something that I have a PhD in. Yeah, you know, I yeah. have a PhD in people fucking people up. Right. I understand it as good as anybody that's ever lived. So if you start talking nonsense yeah. about how to fuck people up, oh, your kung fu instructor said that. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, yeah, you know, I love your Aikido. Aikido. <laughs> Aikido video. Fuck. I like Aikido. It's a fun but thing I recognize to do. that there's a lot of bullshit. There. It's a fun thing to practice. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to be able to flip people around like that. And it would be a great thing to know if you lived in feudal Japan and you lost your sword and someone was coming at you and you had one chance at glory. What, what I love about Aikido is how it translates into psychological and emotional stuff. Mm. So what we were saying earlier about how I don't engage with people yeah. who are emotionally triggered by sex at dawn, yes. to me that's Aikido. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. You know, I learned that kind of thing from Aikido. Yeah. Like, first of all, you don't need to engage. Right. Secondly, if you do engage, what's important is that you stay calm and centered. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, people burn themselves out. You don't even really need to, like, as long as you step out of the sure. way, let people have what they need to have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, as far as a fighting technique, it's not what you're going to pull up in the street. No, it's not. But it's just my point is that people who are brilliant and are geniuses in one aspect of life simply don't have enough time to accumulate the same amount of data about everything. They right. just don't. Sure. Whether it's uh, about, you know, fill in the blank, clock making, or, you know, whatever yeah. the fuck it is. Yeah. It's just like there's things that people know that you're, you don't know. And it doesn't make yeah. you stupid. It's just information. The difference is between how you apply that information. Like if you're a really smart person, you don't do shit with it. You're a moron. You yeah. might you might be a really genius person, but if your life is falling apart and it's all because of your shitty decisions and you've never tried to improve upon your thought process and yeah. you just blame the whole world instead of yourself, you're a moron. Yeah. Even if you're really good at taking IQ tests, you're that's, still a moron. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I don't personally. I don't think that I'm particularly intelligent. I think that what I can do that a lot of people don't do is think outside the box and, and connect dots that other people aren't connecting, which is precisely because I didn't go to the right schools yeah. and I didn't, you know, in my 20s, I went and fucked around the world for 20 years. Also, you don't have like tenure that you're working for or anything weird right. that's going to keep you in line. I can just fuck around and yeah. figure it out. And 
I mean, that's a lot of people that get stuck in that, even intellectuals that get stuck in that trap of having to toe the line, you know, in terms of like, I mean, good luck trying to find a conservative professor, right? I mean, what what is like 4% identify as conservatives in in mainstream universities and and colleges? Some really ridiculously low number, might be 10%, whatever it is, but it's like the vast minority. Yeah. You know, if one if you get one out of ten, you're super lucky. I think that's probably not even really what. It Although is. again, what do we mean by conservative? Right. I, what we, do we mean? It's it's so confusing because the older I get, the more I realize that the language. It, it, it's like one of those Venn diagrams where there's language and there's reality and there's some overlap, but there's mm. a lot that doesn't correspond. Right. You know, I, I get into this a lot when people are talking about homosexuality and whether it's you know. Um, human nature or its culture or whatever. And it's like, first of all, what do we mean by homosexuality? You and I have talked about this before, this tribe in Papua New Guinea where the boys suck as much dick as they can because they think that semen contains the essence of masculinity. And so it's like to them, that's not homosexual behavior. That's normal male developmental behavior. And yet we we look at that and say, oh, well, that's gay, but they don't see it as gay. So, again, it's as you were saying, we replicate the behavior we see around us. Do they have adult homosexuality or do they only have sex with kids? I think it's only at least the only kind that's been reported by anthropologists, because, again, there's a filtering there. Of course. uh, Is younger boys with older boys. So it's the younger boys are given blowjobs to the older boys because that's the way to get stronger and more masculine. Whoa, what a scam somebody pulled off on that place. <laughs> One dude I probably got a long idea. time ago was like, listen to me. <laughs> we have got a new way of doing things around here. <laughs> Yeah, Starting right. with my dick. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls the grass skirt aside. Yeah. Oh, shit. Here hey we guys, go. Here we go. Do you want to get strong? Yeah. Or not? Yeah. Yeah. It's Beating drums, sucking dicks. Bum, 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 bum. There you go. It's pretty crazy, though. Again, like what we were saying earlier, that you can have these pockets of culture that they're radically different than other places, but the people just adapt and conform to what's around them. And I think that's the case with human beings everywhere. I don't think it's just the people that live in New Guinea, and it's not just the people that live in the Congo or live in Woodland Hills. It's people that live everywhere. It's just how human beings behave. And it's also interesting to look at how the culture reflects the environment. Yes. Right? And Marvin Harris wrote about this, cultural materialism, how how a culture responds to an environment sort of like how, you know, cacti live in the desert. There's a reason for that. You put a cactus in the jungle, it dies immediately, right? It's adapted to an environment. So you've got desert cultures. Right, right. Right? You've got jungle cultures. So the culture actually grows in a way that fits that ecological environment. Like yeah. he, he was the first, I think he's the first person to figure this out, certainly the first time I read it. Like some islands, some cultures are cannibalistic and others aren't, right? Why is that? Like I'd never thought about it. Like why would the Aztecs eat the their victims, but the Christians didn't, but the yeah. Christians killed a lot more. They just left them to rot on the field. Why is that? Is that the Aztecs are particularly evil or something? I don't know. Uh, he applied this prism to it and showed that also in the South Pacific, there were some islands that were the people were cannibalistic and other islands where they weren't. And so he looks at all these and what he figured out was that in the places where people are cannibalistic, 
there are no um, domesticated animals that eat different food than humans. So, for example, you can't raise dogs for meat because dogs eat what we eat. So it doesn't make sense. But you can raise goats for meat because goats eat shit humans don't eat. Right. So in the places that are cannibalistic, there was no nothing they could domesticate for protein. So when you killed a human, you ate him because wow. you're protein starved. Wow. Isn't that crazy? So it's an ecological thing. The Aztecs had no pigs, right? There's nothing they could domesticate, no cattle. They had turkeys, I think, was the only domesticated animal. So when they had animal. meat from a person they killed, they were so psyched just You're to have meat. You're not just going to let it go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did they ever tell you that's the case with bears? That bears are all cannibals? Huh. Yeah, all cannibals. It's really dark. My friend Jonathan saw a, a boar, a male bear, kill a cub mm. and then saw the female eat it. Oh, the female yeah, ate it? Yeah, the female chased the male away. And uh, after he'd killed it, she, he was trying to eat it, and she chased him away, and then she ate it. She ate her own cub. And he said uh, he had heard that they did that before, but watching that in person. But they're all cannibals. Well, lots of, lots of mammal mothers will eat their young. But these guys come out of the den looking for cubs. The, the crazy oh, the thing males. about spring bears, yeah, yeah they do yeah. it for two reasons. They do it, one, they, they, they know now that it's not just to try to force the female into estrus again. Right. They used to think it was just that. Yeah. But now they, like, if you shoot a bear, other bears will claim it as theirs and start eating it, and you have to chase them off. Like, they're, they're, it's, the world of a bear is so fucking hard scrabble and so fraught with peril and they have to you know you're talking about a 500 pound bear how much do you have to eat every day yeah what do you have to eat like 30 pounds of meat or and something they're crazy eating, like moths and shit. everything yeah they're machines yeah. what they are is they clean the forest up of babies that can't get away and any like there's no overpopulating when there's bears around. hikers yeah well they oh that's so rare yeah. it's so rare and it's more black bears than it is brown bears when brown bears kill people, yeah. it's usually because someone fucked up and came across a female with her babies. Yeah. And the, the female doesn't want to take any chances. She fucks you up. But when a black bear eats you, it's more likely for predation. Also, a black bear will chase you up a tree. Yeah. And a grizzly won't climb a tree. Right. That's true. And a lot of times when the black bears are near people, the reason is because people have encroached on their, their areas and then they started getting into eating garbage. Right. And they start getting into eating garbage, they become a real problem because they're yeah. smart. And they yeah. realize, like, why well, don't I don't fucking chase after some deer when I could eat this dude's trash? And then how about I just eat this dude? Like, they don't, they don't think about the problems with that. Like, this is going to bring heat on the clan. No, they just fuck yeah. that person up. I spent a lot of time thinking about bears in Alaska. You should. Yeah, I was working in <laughs> the first year. It's so stupid. I worked in this cannery in Kenai for, like, six weeks Salmon or something. Cannery? Salmon cannery, yeah. And I was... Uh, 16 hours a day, seven days a week, just like full on fucking busting it out because the fish are coming in and they got the lines running, you know. Right, and, right. Um, and at night, I would go back and sleep in my tent on this bluff where we were all camped out. And so like, you know, after six weeks, everything smelled like salmon. <laughs> everything. My skin, my teeth, yeah, my hair, right, my right. butt, everything. And uh, so after we left, we, yeah, I was with these two other dudes, and we were like, "Let's go to McKinley and like hike for a while, and you know, go in the." And we were, we hitchhiked oh, no. up. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, I see this coming. <laughs> this is terrible. We hitchhiked up <laughs> to Denali, and we were walking back this dirt road, and this 
this uh, ranger came along in his truck and he stopped and he was this cool guy, you know, and he's like, hey, you guys been working? I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, yeah, where, you've been working at Canada? Yeah. Hmm. And what are you, you're going to go hiking now? Like, yeah, yeah. He said, do you realize that every bear within 20 miles of here can smell you guys and you smell like food? Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Like, get in the truck. Get the <sighs> Thank fuck God, out of that here. guy probably saved your life more yeah. than the guy who saved you from the scorpion and gave you hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs> that was the real that savior. That guy fucked me up, man. <laughs> he did, but the other guy really saved you. Yeah. Dude, yeah. bears and fish, man. That, that's a, a crazy combination. And so the, the big bears of um, um, Kodiak. Kodiak. I was out there. That's the whole deal is that they're just yeah. eating fish and Salmon, even beach man. whales. Yeah. They eat whales. They eat everything. Yeah. That's, that is, that's a bananas place to be, man, when you're looking at 12-foot bears. I worked on Fuck. a boat. The second year, I worked on a boat that was based out of Kodiak. Really? Yeah. Did you get to see a lot of them? Yeah. Around. Oh, man, I saw the bears. I saw orcas. I saw all wow. sorts of shit. Yeah. We were out in Prince William Sound. Orcas are the animal that I always point to that if they didn't exist and there was a legend of them, it would be way more fascinating than Bigfoot. Hmm. If somebody told you that there's some mammal that lives in the ocean and they communicate with each other through a complex series hmm. of sounds that we to this day can't understand and that there's several tons. And they have accents. They have accents. Yeah. yeah. They have dialects. They leap through the air and smash it. They, they stay together in pods for life and yeah. they have a very strong family bond. If they didn't exist, if this was just like some Bigfoot type myth, it would be way more interesting than Bigfoot. Because hmm. what does Bigfoot do? It just wanders around the woods and just like. It's because Bigfoot looks like a human. Yeah. You know, exactly. so it's, it's that wild. Yeah. It's the dogs fascinated by the wolf, you know? Right. Yeah. The, exactly, right? That is exactly what it is. Like, that, that could have been us. We, we, we you know about left, this subgenre right. of women who read Bigfoot yes. erotic literature? <laughs> so much of it. There's a lot of it, yeah. man. You should write some, Joe. You should. That should be my move. Maybe that's yeah, what I'll write. That's Just what you write. Really, like you can't like like. I'll blurry. write a I'll write a blurb for you nice. for sure. Yeah, I blur the lines between erotica and just like horrible hunting, primal like slaughtering, <laughs> slaughtering of villagers and then fucking the women. Like and, it'd be like some weird murder porn. Like he would uh, yeah. storm into some weird log cabin. And you do that kill the that dude. famous photo of you, you know, looking mm. all badass in black and Ooh, white. That's the back one for the author? The yeah, author. that's your author photo for sure. It drinks way too much coffee. It's, it's getting me wet just thinking about it. Wow, you get wet? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about 56 years old, Joe. Got a little leakage. By the way, last week, big, big event in my life. What happened? First prostate exam, bitches. Ooh, how was that? It was fabulous. Did it feel good? No, 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 but but everything. Like, you look very healthy. Can I just say that? You thank look, you. Right now, you look rested you know and healthy. Last time I saw you, you and me and Duncan were here. It's maybe three months ago. There was a moment we were talking about something, and you said, "You know, going to yoga two days a week can change your life." And you looked at me, and I don't know that that this was happening on your end, but on my end, it felt significant. It felt like you were like saying, I was Chris, you? Chris, Chris, you know, just two yoga classes a week could change your life. And I, I started going to yoga and I feel much better. Oh, look at that. Yeah. That's why you're all healthy looking. That and my, uh, my urologist. That's so beautiful. I got to tell you about this urologist though. Okay. Super cool guy. Would you give him four stars on Yelp? I'd give him five. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I've invited him on my podcast. Oh, wow. But he's hesitant to do it, and I understand why. He works for a big hospital, and right. you know he doesn't want to become a rock star. But we ended up hanging out in his office talking for a while. This dude gave himself a vasectomy. 
Ooh. He's, he told me, he's like, that's how bad he didn't want to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> he pried his dick hole open and just no, chopped he, away. He was just like, Ugh. you know, I do it. I've done a lot of them. I want to see if I could do it. And he said, you know, my wife wasn't into the idea, mm. but she insisted that I have a colleague standing by in case I got into trouble. So that made sense. I did. The guy was going a little to the left. To the gave left. himself a fucking vasectomy. That is the most badass thing I think I've ever heard. Did he like, what did he do with his feet? I, I don't know the like position. Feet back like this here, like way back, like a contortionist, and just digging in. What's it? He said it's on the side of the scrotum. Maybe yours, bro. Not mine. Oh, you got yours up your butt. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the people be proud of. I get the. They told me I had the biggest pipe. Well, this when dude. They, they tie my tubes. They said my, they never saw tubes like mine. He they said, never saw them like a fucking. He said hose, to me bro. afterwards. He said, "You got the prostate of a twenty-year-old." Oh, I was nice. like, oh, I love you, brother. That's good. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, it was. Funny. It was really funny. We're, Are you fixed? No, you're not. You're still no. shooting live loads. Who knows? Who knows how live they are at this point? Well, now you you, you got defects in your loads. Yeah. When you get older, you get defects That's in your right. loads. Yeah. Yeah. So, dude, you really do look healthier. Like I'm not oh, bullshitting. Like I, I saw that like instantly. Oh. So two yoga classes a day or a week, a week rather a week <laughs> a day will probably it's not cripple get you. Crazy. You'll probably come in here emaciated. But two a week really can change your life. Yeah, and I'm doing the like old lady classes too. Those old ladies are tough as fuck. That's how they got to be old ladies, <laughs> dude. Like plank position. I'm like, lady, come on. Yeah. My arms are shaking. There's some old ladies in my class that humble me. I, I take yoga yeah. with these old ladies, old housewives. And they're fucking tough as shit, and they're in there every day. I yeah. come there a couple days a week, and they look at me like, oh, decided to drop in. Decided <laughs> to they're there every day. Every day. Yeah. You see their progress, too. Especially, it's very impressive to me when you see flexibility progress in old people. And you realize, yeah. like, most of what we um, take for, what we decide, like, oh, this is how far your body should move when you're 60, or this is how your body should move when you're 70. It's based on the average person who doesn't do a goddamn thing with their body. They don't go right. hiking. You don't eat right. Again, it's based on what you see around you. Yes. In Spain, everybody goes for a walk after dinner. You yeah. can be 90 years old. They're out there walking after it's dinner. It's a way to go, too. It's yeah, nice. If you go enjoyable. to a nice place, it feels good to have a meal and then walk around. That's why it's like, you ever eat in Malibu? There's a mm -hmm. Malibu seafood. You ever see that? You know where that place yeah, is? Yeah, right, right on yeah, the a little, PCH. Yeah, you eat outside. Yeah. It's really good. And they have fresh seafood there all you're, the time. Are you talking about the real inn? No, no, no. Oh. I think it's called Malibu Seafood. Oh. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. But anyway, the problem is getting across the PCH. You got to get across PCH. That's oh. death-defying. Oh, you park on one side, yeah. run across. Yeah, yeah that's, you got to run across. Yeah. Well, especially with little kids, that's fucking scary. You should go to the real inn. It's on the PCH down near Topanga. I've heard that's good. It is good, and is they got good? tables outside. You can bring a dog in. They've, it's kind of picnic tables. Mm. Anyway, we talk about this after. Yeah. But a, there's something about you, there's another restaurant on Malibu too that's a really good spot that's like right on the beach and you can eat and then just go walk. Yeah, it's like walking on the beach or just going for a walk like right after a meal. That's what everybody's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, helps digestion. And and when you live in a you know I saw this so much in Spain when you live in a culture that's healthy, mm -hmm. you're healthy. You know what my favorite example is. Boulder, Colorado. Oh, yeah. You go to Boulder, everybody's got fucking Patagonia jackets on. They're running up You're hills moving. and yeah. dirt bike riding. There's a yoga place every corner. And people are having fun. Having a good it's time. It's not work. No. It's no. fun. It Well, exercise is fun. That's what people don't understand. It's really un... It's 
not fun to be unhealthy. And when you try to exercise when you're unhealthy, it feels like shit because your body feels like shit. But once you get the dust knocked off of it and get it moving, and I'm not talking about CrossFit or fucking MMA training or jujitsu. I'm just talking about any kind of exercise. Yeah. Just get that blood flowing. You'll be a you'll be a better version of you. I got a a bike. I don't know if you and I have talked about this. It's this electric assist mountain bike. Oh, yeah. My friend John Dudley has those. Fuck, is that fun? They're amazing. It's so much fun. Yeah. And where I live, it's like uphill to get to any of the fire roads. Right. So a normal bike, I'm just not going to do it, you know, because it's like (laughs) a half hour of hell to get anywhere interesting. Yeah. But this thing, it it only assists when you pedal. Right. There's no throttle or anything. Right. Uh, The Specialized gave it to me because I I had this dude on my podcast who's – uh, professional mountain bike racer, and he was like, "Dude, you got to get a bike. You're in Topanga. This is you yeah. know heaven here." And I was like, "Yeah, but like that's where I would ride, you know, way the fuck up there." And he's like, "Yeah, let me talk to some people." Well, my buddy John Dudley uses those for deer hunting oh, because right. when you walk on you the ground, well, not just that. When you walk on the ground, you leave scent. Ah. So instead of doing that, he rides a bike. So when you ride a bike, you're just like deer's nose is so much stronger and more powerful than ours that if the wind is at your back and the deer's in front of you, you're fucked. You're just fucked. But if you play the wind correctly, one of the best ways to avoid leaving scent if a deer passes by after you've been there is to ride a bike. But you don't want to ride a bike and exert yourself because then you'll be sweaty and you have to sit in a tree stand. You'll freeze your fucking ass off. So instead, he has these electric assist bikes and they're fucking amazing. And when I was in Iowa, we took these suckers out into the woods. It's fun, huh? Oh, it's amazing. Like uphill uphill doesn't matter. Just rope up the hill. No problem. Yeah, and it's still... An effort, but it's not like it does. You don't, it's yeah. just like like a light walk. Yeah. yeah. They're awesome. I took it out to Utah. I was out in the van. Scarlett Jovanson and I were out in uh, Canyonlands. <sighs> it's so nice, man. That's so pretty. And there was this one ride. It was like 20 miles, I think, out on this Jeep track. Like you could never go on, I mean, even in a Jeep, you're uh, like a serious four wheel drive, you're, you're going two miles an hour on some of these. But on this bike, just just cruising 20 miles out to where the Colorado and the Green River converge. It's this canyon, nobody out there, and I'm just cruising. It's like riding a horse. It's wow. so cool. Wow. Although I did think at one point when I was going through this field with like tall grasses that I, to a cougar, I would have looked like impossible to resist yeah yeah maybe top speeds 20 miles an hour so it would have got me most cougars are not really into attacking people but they have attacked people on mountain bikes before sure most of the time yeah yeah i think it's like a yarn thing like a ball yarn yeah a kitten right you just can't help it well you've got cats right yeah i somehow i i feel like cats are similar enough that if i saw a cougar i would know how to deal with it just because i know cats (laughs) Man, you can you can bluff a cat. Did you see the video I posted up today where a guy in Boulder saw four fucking mountain lions on his street four? walking together? A yeah. family must have been big ones. Four full grown fucking mountain oh, lions. Not a mother and young. No, but they don't hang together. They do. They're solitary. Not according to this fucking video. Go full screen and freak us out, Jamie. They're not pack <laughs> animals. Yeah, but there's or two. Prides. Look at that. 
two big ass grown ass mountain lions yeah. and then they go down the street look what do we have at the end of the road oh another big ass grown ass <laughs> mountain lion and another one lying on its back over there wow imagine turning that corner in your fucking electric bike <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine they're in the road they're in the fucking road so this guy this is his house this guy's looking out of his house i wow. guess he's outside of boulder Mountain lions don't give a shit. That's where um, a mountain lion ate my dog in Boulder. Really? Yeah. Oh, they shit. get dogs all the time. Yeah. They well, get them. They hang around near your house. They start targeting your dogs. It's yeah. an easy prey. It's my hard wife's to get a deer. dog got eaten by a lion. A real uh, African lion. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's that's more scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's Africa. Fuck. What, what kind of dog was it? It was a small Pomeranian-American Eskimo mix. Mm. It's a sweetheart of a dog. Mm-hmm. He was a great dog. Worst but, ways uh, to go. Yeah. Look, there's just some stuff out there, man, between the bears and the dogs or the the uh, cats and also the foxes. Foxes are amazing. I mean, I love foxes. I mean, I think they're really interesting animals, and they're one of the few animals in the wild that will, if you live in a certain area for long enough, they will almost become domesticated. They like they get close to you and hang out with you, and you could feed them, and they'll they'll like walk with you and hang out with you like real close by. They're a weird animal. Mm. They're not quite a wolf, and they're not like a coyote. Mm. Like a fox, our relationship with foxes is very playful. You know, like, yeah. have you ever seen um, Grizzly Man? Yeah, sure. Remember his relationship with the fox? Hung around the campsite or P- something? Took his hat, stole his hat, oh, ran away. Right. They were playing. Right. Like the, the fox used to sit on his tent. Yeah. And he'd be right there. He'd be like, how are you? Good morning today. Like the, they would just hang with him and walk yeah. with him. There's that lady, Sue Aikens, who lives, uh, she lives 200 plus miles above the Arctic Circle. She's on that show, Life Below Zero. There it is. There's the Grizzly Man. Like, look at this fucking animal. Yeah. Just hanging with him, man. I mean, it's and messing that's with Alaska. his tripod. That's way yeah. the fuck out. That's Yep. Way the fuck out. But once they get accustomed to you, they're very intelligent. And they realize, like, this guy's not going to hurt me. Um, then they become yeah. like your little buddy. And if you give them food, I mean, this is essentially how animals got domesticated. Right. Right. This is how wolves became dogs. They just hung around with us long enough that we, they were outside the edge of the campfire and we gave them food to keep them from you know attacking us or whatever. But foxes in particular, they'll kill the shit out of your cat. They'll kill your dog. Foxes will kill a lot of things. They kill a lot of fawns. Mm. You know, it's, I, I saw um, a fox on, on the internet with, with a fawn that was almost as big as its body. And it was dragging this fawn across this, uh, this road. And I was like, ugh. I never thought it would kill something that big. I would thought they'd get rats. Like, yeah, well, they do generally, right? Yeah. Marmot or not marmots, uh, moles and yeah. stuff. You ever see the, how they jump? They they hear mm-hmm. so well. Yeah. They can locate it under the snow and just. Yeah. Well, here's yeah. something fucked up. I had a coyote kill one of my chickens recently, and I buried the chicken. And um, I was in the yard the other day. I heard this noise, and my golden retriever, who has zero killer instinct, I mean, he'll he'll kill like a. A, a bird or something if he gets a hold of it but he's not like a guard dog he's a sweetie and he's he's like what is going on over there and these coyotes are on the roof of the fucking hen house trying to pl- pry away the the chicken wire and i hear this clink clink and the clink clink is the coyotes biting the chicken wire trying to break it open to get into the chickens so they killed one chicken i chased him off i got a video over there i was gonna post it but i was like this is too gross chicken that got fucked up by this coyote plus it's sad i love those chickens they're like a pet you know yeah. so i dug a hole buried the chicken and the coyote dug the fucking hole up and found the chicken and it was like a couple feet 
down. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a super shallow grave. I mean, that coyote smelled that chicken through two feet of dirt. Yeah. And went and dug it out. I went out there uh, a couple days later, and I was like, where's the fucking chicken? There's just a hole there. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. They could smell through the dirt, man. Yeah. They knew the chicken was down there. It's crazy. That's it, crazy. Do you ever have strange experience with wild animals while you were tripping? Never. I've had zero experience with animals while tripping. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot because I trip in the woods a lot. Yeah, man, I know too much about the woods. I'm not. I want to trip inside an armed compound. <laughs> well, that'll be safe. Loaded guns nearby. Yeah. Uh, I just you, no, you got you got kidding. a fear fetish. No, I don't. I'm always joking around. Half of it is for entertainment. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten I've done mushrooms in a field before. And it, it doesn't. It didn't freak me out. Um, baseball field. When Aubrey and I went bear hunting, he took mushrooms one of the days. Hmm. I didn't. I wasn't with him. You know, when you go to your own little right. area of the woods by yourself, I'd find it hard to shoot anything if I were tripping. You wouldn't if you were hungry. The thing about those things is, like, bear hunting is a weird one, man, because they need to control the populations. Because if they don't control the populations, the bears decimate the moose and the deer, right. and they eat fifty percent of the fawns as it is. Right. If a if a although deer <clears throat> populations out of control in so, a lot of places, yeah. not not in Alberta. <laughs> oh, is that where you were? Yeah, I mean uh, they have Pennsylvania. A good, it's a, have a it's a healthy balance, but it's only apparently a healthy balance according to biologists. And this is not according to vegans or hunters, but according to biologists, it's only healthy if the bear population is kept to a certain number. If it gets too crazy, then they run out of food, and then there's a lot of cannibalism already. But then it gets even worse, and you know, then they start encroaching on cities right. and towns, yeah. and, and it gets, it gets weird. But they're they treat it in, in, in terms of like a, a number thing instead of looking at it from like a moral standpoint. Like, should you kill an animal? They're like, well, if you don't kill an animal, this animal's overbalanced, this a, overpopulated, this animal's going to be underpopulated now because they're going to go after them and they're going to kill a disproportionate number of them. So they try to keep this. So, but bears are apex predators. So, yes, who nothing. was killing bears? Other bears, grizzlies. So then, the sort of the ultimate balance is to just leave the bears and let the other bears kill them. That's a right? good balance. But then you're living in a world where you have 11 foot, 12 foot grizzlies everywhere you go, wandering into town. Because yeah. yeah. if you live in a place like Alberta, mm. right? In some some areas of Alberta, you have you know good population of elk and moose and deer. Well, that means you're going to have a good population of monsters. So if you're comfortable with that, <laughs> you, just, you just have to decide, like, yeah. how much risk do you want to have? Yeah. Because once the bears chew through them, they're going to go after you. You shoot uh, boars with the, the bow? Wild boars? Yeah. yeah, I've done that. Yeah. yeah. A friend of mine invited me to go uh, do that in Hawaii. Hawaii has to do it. That's yeah, a good place. Because of that. They don't have any predators. And they fuck up. He was explaining um, that the boars fuck up the coral reefs because they dig up all the dirt and then the, it runs off in the rain and it contaminates the bays. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's a really big thing in, in Hawaii that they have to really go after the boars as much as yeah. possible. There's a project right now in Maui where they, um, they're going to fence in uh, an area and the area that they're fenced in, they have to, it's like 5,000 acres, I think it is, where they have to eradicate uh, the deer that are in this one particular area because they're trying to reclaim the forest land. And a lot of these deer, all of the deer, most of the large mammals in Hawaii are non-native. Right. And so these invasive species, these axis deer from Asia, actually, are just 
they eat everything. Nothing gets to grow. Like there's not going to be a forest because the little things grow and they just eat them. Yeah. They eat them right when they're coming up and they just, there's so many of them. So they also have a problem with people, you know, needing food. So what they're doing is they're like, they have this project where they're going out and they're hunting these animals, killing them and then giving these, the food to people for free. And so they've set it up like this. So they have a real sustainable food source for all these poor people, which is the best meat in the world. Exactly. So delicious. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Much better than, you know, industrial Sure. Shit. Yeah. Well, it's it's really good. I mean, even in terms of wild game animal, they have the most delicious game animal. Hmm. There's like two thoughts. It's usually it's either elk or axis deer. Those are the two that go back really? and forth. I've had both. They're both amazing. But axis deer are fucking everywhere. You ever had bison? You must. Yes. Have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's that's. Yeah. Free range bison tasty. is amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. A cool yeah. animal too to Huge. see in the wild. Yeah. It's like a, a Star Wars truck. animal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We saw them in Yellowstone big herd of them just yeah. chilling but yeah. it was weird because they were so accustomed to people yeah they're just lounging like a hundred yards from folks can you imagine when they, like before they shot them all that oceans of those things crazy Crying. do you know where that came from that's another one that's a weird one that i didn't know dan flores is a fascinating guy he wrote a book uh, a great book on coyotes called coyote america but he wrote a um a pete it was a paper it was bison Dis diplomacy bison ecology that's the name of it um, but it's basically saying that what happened was when the Europeans came to America and the Europeans spread disease, it decimated the Native American population by as much as 90%. That yeah. is when the bison boom happened. Right. Yeah. Bison ecology and bison diplomacy, the Southern Plains from 1800 to 1850. Yeah. So what his, what his take is that the overpopulation of bison was a direct result of these Native American people being decimated mm. because their population dropped by 90%. No one was hunting the buffalo. So the buffalo just went crazy. And there's like with no hunters chasing after him, one, two, three decades later, you've got a shit ton of bison just running around everywhere. And he points to early settlers that described in great detail all of the various game animals that they came across, but nary a mention of the bison. And certainly not a mention of like these gigantic million strong herds of bison roaming the plains. Hmm. And you think that's a direct result of all their predators, the Native Americans, who had gotten really good at hunting them and even, you know, even surplus hunting them where they drive them off cliffs and just yeah. take what they could that was at the bottom. Yeah. Although it's also interesting to think how the introduction of horses would have Oh, that changed that. everything. Yeah. Horses and guns. Yeah. What, what Dan Flores says that is that just with just with wild, just forget about European settlers. Just the Native Americans with horses and rifles were on their way to extirpating the bi the bison. Hmm. Yeah, crazy. So we, I mean, this is does not like exonerate all the Europeans that had the stacks of bones and that killed them in masks. They certainly did that. There's no doubt about it, and that's what almost caused. The, uh, the the complete extinction. That's, yeah. that's the, it was at the end. It was the Europeans. It was yeah. us, the settlers. Well, but, to starve out the Indians. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't even that. That's, that's another thing that they think. That there's not there was not a concerted effort to starve out the Indians. They wanted it for surp for food. They wanted the tongues. Right. Yeah. They, uh, what I read is they sh Buffalo Bill and those dudes were shooting them and just leaving the bodies out there. It was to wipe out the Lakota because they couldn't fucking beat the Lakota. That might have been done as well. And but the that's Cheyenne. Not, that's not what. What killed them off? I mean, when you see these giant stacks of skulls, they were doing that for using them as a commodity. A lot of it was just for their tongues, believe it or not. Their tongues were a very valuable, valuable delicacy, and then mm. it was for their skins. And you know, when they 
they had meat hunting, they, what they called market hunting, where they'd take guys who came back from the war and they were looking for a job, but one of the best jobs they can get, are you a good shot? Great. You could be a hunter. And they would go and shoot fucking everything, everything that moved, and they wiped out all the antelope, all the elk, all the bison. It wasn't just the bison. It's just the bison is such an iconic thing, and then obviously those piles of skulls, it was unusual the amount of effort they put into killing yeah. them but i don't think it was necessarily just to just to wipe out them so that the native americans would starve i'm did sure it, they did that locally you in ever read spots. bury my heart at wounded knee no i don't think i did oh, that's a beautiful book it's a really interesting book about the sort of final chapter of different tribes in north america geronimo and the apaches and yeah. you know sitting bull and all these people and it's just really interesting the story of the sort of contact and the characters and the different things that happen yeah i read that when i was very young when i was you know running around in a loincloth throwing <laughs> apples at rabbits that is if you look at human history what is this here <clears throat> they used to shoot them from from trains. Yeah, trains. from trains yeah they did it for fun too yeah crazy yeah there were so many of them. They just thought they could just shoot them. What, any, so what, a, what a relationship with the natural world that represents, you know? <laughs> well, what, this is what I was going to say. is like, has there ever been anything like that other than, I mean, anything in terms of the impact of a group of people landing on a continent? Hmm. Like nothing that we've ever observed. It's the greatest mortality in history for yeah. sure. Yeah. And the greatest change too. Like not only that, but this weird movement to to the west and like a landing landing on this weird continent that was filled with these people that lived in a completely different way i mean what are the odds that you're going to get to a place you think of where europe was in the 1700s the 1400s you know when the when they first started arriving and think of the sophistication with the boats and the written language and all the different things and then they show up go across the ocean and land to a place that has zero cities no, there were cities. Tenochtitlan yeah, I mean, was was bigger than almost all European cities when Cortez walked into it. That's in Mexico. In, in Mexico. That's oh, where okay. the Aztecs were. Right, right. That's, and they also had sewage and lit streets. Well, they did more in South America than they did in North America, right? Yeah, no. North from I mean, you're talking about America, Canada. Yeah. There was nothing comparable at that point. Yeah, but that's what I meant. Mexico, I mean, I mean, yeah. like when they're landing here and they they made their way all the way to California, they're not encountering a single city, right? I mean, that's just fucking bananas. You've got thousands of miles of just yeah. natural people living in tents. Yeah. You know, crazy. You ever sleep in a teepee? No. Uh, this place in Terlingua, I, I stayed in a teepee. Jeff, the, the, the microbiology guy, he's got a bunch of, or microbiome guy, he's got a bunch of teepees. They're like luxury, beautiful teepees. Luxury teepees? Fucking great, yeah. What's a luxury teepee? Uh, Jamie, base camp Terlingua. <laughs> You'll see they're, they're fucking beautiful. Base camp and Terlingua, T-E-R-L-I-N-G-U-A, Terlingua. It's, uh, yeah, they're, they're fucking sweet. They're, they've got like a concrete base and maybe a three-foot wall around it, and then the teepee's on top so the wind oh, doesn't blow around. Oh, nice. And then he showed me the design of teepees is really interesting. It's like they're designed so the wind comes under the teepee. Yeah, there oh, you go. Oh, that's dope. Check that out. Isn't oh, so they, they rent those out? Yeah. Oh, this is crazy. We offer a once-of-a-kind, one-of-a-kind teepee experience teepee. with our massive 26-foot teepee over the top of a sunken kiva. kiva. What's a kiva? Kiva is like a Hopi uh, dwelling that's wow. semi-submerged. Uh, 
Each of our three luxury hold, hold on. Each of our three luxury teepees has a comfy size, comfy king size bed, fold out couch, plenty of seating, rugs throughout, sink, under counter fridge, Keurig, Keurig. coffee Whoa, maker, the microwave. Best. Oh, you can make microwave popcorn. Outdoor fire pit. I think outdoor is one word there, isn't it? Mm, yeah. It should be. <laughs> and house, oh, private bath, house private. Hey, hey Jeff, get the with the Chis- fucking typos Chisos, here. Chisos Mountains. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. It, is, it looks like it. Man, that looks badass. Isn't that nice? Wow. Yeah, I slept in both of those houses. That's cool. 100-year-old, hold on, Jamie. Uh, Rebolt, 100-year-old ruin located in the heart of Terlingua Ghost Town. Wow. That's amazing. Dude, we got to wrap this up. Yeah. Three, I, I got to piss like a racehorse. I'm sure you do. Tangentially reading. It's out now. Anybody can get it everywhere. All the places that they sell books. And, of course, Tangentially Speaking, all the places you get podcasts. There it is. Listen, man, I'm glad you did this. I'm glad you became a podcast guy. Yeah. The the podcast world is richer for it. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm richer for it. Thanks to you and Duncan. Chris Ryan, motherfuckers. That's it. See you guys tomorrow. Bye.